Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Whitney, man, what show is this? Uh, Brent, this is show number 433. No. Uh, it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? Boy, it's uh, episode 44, man. Uh, Broken Token, live. <laughs> well, li- live to tape. Yeah, or, li- wait, yeah. Wait, wait, live to disc. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's the Memorex episode, Brent. You, That's exactly what it can is. Can you believe we've done 44 of these? Man, you know something? I was looking back through the show notes as I was hurriedly working on them today uh, before, uh, before driving over to your your house and man dude we are almost upon our three-year anniversary yep. so i you know i didn't realize that but man october 2013 is when we did episode number one and uh i mean we've actually had a good run so far because in you know almost three years we've cranked out what 40 well what will be 44 episodes i mean dude that's pretty strong for a couple hillbillies you know do <laughs> you know what people out there are like well usually people celebrate the the even numbers or like yeah. the the, the by five divisibles, like yeah. thirty-five. No, no and actually, and I just I just celebrate coming over to your house and getting another one, uh, getting another one on tape. How I'm about that? On disc, yeah. Oh yeah, my bad. So on disc, yeah. Listeners are like, wait a minute, why are they getting you know waxing nostalgic yeah. at such? What's so special it's, it's about like, forty-four? Yeah, and they're talking like, about a good run. Yeah, and, and it's like, why do they high-five themselves for doing their job? You well, know, I'm, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I'm just thinking we should tell everybody we're folding. We're done. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. I mean, it takes too long to build up a good thing, dude. You oh, can't. I mean, we got to. We have to water the plant, Brent. Oh. Water the plant. You know, <laughs> don't pull the curtains back too far. Whitney. Exactly. Exactly. Forty-four, Whitney. Yeah, that's it, man. Uh, coming up on three years. It's hard to believe. It is. It is. Exactly. I figured one of us would run the other off by now. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No way, man. See, I caught no him, way. I caught him drinking. That's yeah. a trick. Yeah, that is a podcasting <laughs> faux pas right there. So, man, dude, it has been a, it has been a whirlwind month, a whirlwind month. So, so, I've looked through the show notes, and you've got some pretty kind of cool stuff here going on. So, why, yeah, why don't you catch us up with what you've had going on? Well, you know something, I, 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 yes, sir, I will certainly do that. Start off the episode that way, but it's it's interesting, Brent, because when I went to write all this stuff down, I'm sitting here racking my brain because I've worked on absolutely nothing arcade related. But then when I sit down and force myself to to kind of replay the month it's like oh there actually is quite a good bit there it's just not it's just not like you know quote unquote heads down you know restoration type of well, stuff we've this it's, it's starting to sound like the broken record of us talking I know, about I know. I, we, I hate it's it. been I, such a busy I cannot, month i cannot stand that and i apologize and, and you're right you are right you, you are but right. you hit the nail on the head it seems like we're spending uh here recently we're spending a lot of time well, what time we get to spend, it's just shorter periods of time. Yeah. So the ball advances a little bit, but you're right. We haven't gotten an opportunity just to dive headlong into one kind yeah. of larger scale project. Well, and, and I need to finish my zookeeper, man. I mean, it sits, it taunts me every day. I walk into my workroom and it sits there looking at me and, you know, it laughs at me in mockery. And it's like, yeah, well, I know. I've got one I've of got to finish you. I've I got know. something like that going on right now. We'll talk about it yeah. here a little later. Yeah. You're going to, I think you're going to um i think you're going to round the track before i do but <laughs> i guess we'll see how that works out either way but hey dude so um i was able to take uh my new trailer out on the road and brent i have uh christened that trailer and given it a name it's now called the grailer so that's that's what i call it 
you know it you, you know brandon hunts for grails you oh know how this stuff goes gosh <laughs> but anyway so i took the your, grail. your ability to name things never ceases to amaze me. yeah exactly so when you say it you have to say the grailer like that but uh anyway so i took the every tra- time you do that my dog turns around she's like what is that noise she wants to chew on my ankles <laughs> is what she does but no man so i loaded up the trailer and was able to uh find a game that i've i've had on my want list for several years now but i've never you know brent it's funny you talk about do you actively pursue a game or do you wait for a game to i guess kind of find you or come to you Mm -hmm. and throughout several um throughout several years of the hobby i i freely admit i have actively pursued games i've almost for lack of a better term man i've always been on the hunt you know i've had a game in my sights and it's like okay let me find that game and then you cross it off the list and you go to the next game and the next game and the next game Uh, and some games have found me but other games have had to be actively pursued this is one that found me and i was so happy about it because like i say i wasn't uh i wasn't you know actively looking for this i guess kind of passively looking for it but uh brent i got a red tent this last month and i'm so it's about time i know man for 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 me being i guess kind of a self-proclaimed nintendo fanboy i have never ever 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 had a red tent sold it and got another one sold that one and got another one i i i got my very first red tent this month and i'm so so stoked well, about well, having well, that. Well, welcome to the club. Whitney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're 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 such awesome machines, and I, you know, I'm just I'm just looking forward to being able to swap the games and just the I guess the overall I guess the overall experience that is the Red Ten experience. You know, so I'm I, yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. See, now I didn't learn about this until uh, I looked at the show notes, and this just proves that I thought I was up with the kids and I was in with the technology and I'm looking at the screen cap yeah and it's a tweet yes that, that's what that's what's called right it's a tw- it, tweet. it is a tweet I took a screen okay. I, I took a screenshot of it I took a screen cap of the tweet itself okay I, I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I had my terms right yeah it what I am certain of is that the date is 7 July. <laughs> it is July 7th. And yes. I, I could have known about this like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's the great thing about it though, man, is, you know, just kind of holding stuff back until we record because it's fun to talk about it then rather than you and I having already ran through to, through the discussion just, ahead of time. I think it's just funny. You can have complete conversations about the show and things going on and yeah. I have no idea. And it's not, and it's not like it's like masked yeah no 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 it's all out in the open completely hey but did you notice how many people uh did did a favorite on that tweet look at that man is like, that what the heart is that's what the heart is so like 30 people and, and instantly I, and I started going ding 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 ding. and like i genuinely that. asked that as and i didn't know <laughs> It's all good, Brent. What's that recycle thing? Is that a retweet? Uh, that is a re- okay. hey, I've heard the term. Hey, okay. look at you. Oh look at you. Gosh. Hey, now, the, you're, you're working yourself up. <laughs> Listeners out there are like, he's got to be screwing around. He's got to be. No, no I no, am not no, faking. No, he's, he's not <laughs> faking any of that. I have a freaking clue. I, I'm, I need to get you a uh, welcome to Twitter book or something like every that. Time it, every time the app updates on my phone, I'm like, I got to I gotta get on that thing. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like something else happens and i don't you know oh man it's a beautiful looking cabinet thank you, you know, thank for, you for those that already knew <laughs> yeah so so like i said you can go out into our twitter stream and find a picture of it is sitting out there uh he didn't put it on facebook
book because he knew and then he knew I'd see it. Exactly. So I so I held it back. And you know something, Brent? There is something to be said for pushing some content to Twitter and pushing some content to Facebook and then just kind of discerning between the two. You know, do it's like, do I want to just drop it out there instantly and go on about my way? Twitter's really good about that. Or do I want to create more of a curated type of post? Then Facebook is definitely more for that, mm-hmm. you know, at least in my mind. So it, it depends upon the situation at hand. But, uh, but yeah, I posted a picture of it uh, at, right before I, I wrapped it and uh, secured it uh, there, you know, inside the trailer. And Brent, thank you for saying that. You're right. It is a fabulous looking red tent. I mean, Brent, when you crack that baby open, it looks brand new on the inside. And it did come via a, a connection of a connection. But from everything that I have been told and, and uh, the research that I did on this specific red tent, uh, and just based upon talking to the uh, to the seller, uh, he was the second owner and he bought it. Uh, he bought it from the original owner. Um, collectively, both sides, Brent, have uh, less than a thousand, a few thousand plays, uh, less mean, than a couple thousand control, plays. On the it. control panels are beautiful. Uh, they, they look like they have nowhere. There's not even anywhere. Brent, Brent there is nowhere yeah. on the game at all. I say, there's not <laughs> even the anywhere like where your wrists would set. Nope. There's there's none. And, I, I mean, you know, the coin, the, the, uh, the coin, there's not a coin door per se, but the, where the uh, coin entry shoots are. Yep. And it's got the, the, the plaque basically that has the Nintendo logo on, on it. it. It looks beautiful. And let me tell you, that's not scratched up at all. I mean, Brent, this, th- this is Probably, and I've seen red tents and passed on them, okay? Because I mean, honestly, dude, they're kind of basket cases a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I've seen plenty of them and have passed on them. But this one stood out. And, and Brent, even the 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 crinkle finish that is the red, you know, that is the red mm-hmm. on on the on the um, on the red tents, mm-hmm. it feels it, it has texture to it, and it feels new it doesn't feel like worn or it doesn't feel like it's, it's been, been handled and rubbed handled and rubbed and cleaned and a bunch it, of wiped down over time and it, it kind of knocks that, that it, it kind of knocks that the, the highs and the lows yeah. out of it and, and kind of evens it out this doesn't feel this way this this feels you run your hand over it and it still feels wrinkly new you know it, like, like it has Wrinkle. that kind of a, a epoxy <laughs> kind of a crinkle finish to it you know mm, if, if i can say that i'm going up here to edit now because there's a show title exactly wrinkly new yes yes it feels <laughs> wrinkly new how about that so uh yeah yeah go go ahead and capture that there man so <laughs> but anyway uh so yeah i got the red tent and, and brent the the monitors have got like zero burn on them i mean as i said when you pop this thing open there's like not even dust inside of it brent it's it is it it feels and looks that that good and that clean so i was really happy to get it um let's see i guess the best thing i know to say uh you know it came with um you know it came with a couple extra motherboards uh populated uh the games that i got with it are super mario brothers uh versus pinball um and the extra boards uh have got the are populated with cpus and ppus i think it has uh, it came with um versus slalom and a couple of others i'd, ha- I'd actually have to go back and look at the list uh, I probably should have had. You didn't all get that versus tennis by chance, did you? Uh, yes, uh huh. It does have versus oh, tennis. Oh, okay, yes, that's yes, good. It does. That, thank I, you, thank you. That was one. It just popped in my head I when you said think it. Think that's the only four player, or is balloon fight also four uh, pl- full four player? I know balloon fight is two player. It I don't is know two if player. I don't know if it's four or not. I thought it was only oh, two. All right, actually. I can't. I can't remember. But yeah. I, I know tennis is a is a full four player game. So yes, yes, cool. Yeah, I, I understand. Understand. But uh, but nonetheless. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, it, it, man, dude, it's ready to go. And, you know, so like I say, it came fully populated, um, you know, in the tent with Super Mario Brothers and, um, and then uh, versus uh, versus pinball, and then the two extra boards with CPU and PPUs for for tennis, Mario Brothers, and uh, versus versus pinball as well. So I've got some duplication on the PPUs, but you know what, dude, that's okay. That's I'm, all right. I'm, I'm fine for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so you and I were talking about now. You, uh, you know that versus tennis. I think it's the versus tennis. That's the hard one to get. Is it? I, okay. Yeah, I think if, if memory serves, uh, and you know, I probably have to go look this back up, but I'm pretty sure that PPU is the same one that's used in uh, Place Choice 10. Okay. And it's also the one that the NES modders use to convert to composite out video. Oh, I see. I so see. yeah, it's yeah, a. I need to go to uh, John's arcade site and, and just refresh my memory on the cross section of what works with what, because. I'll say this: I have been collecting uh, Unisystem uh, Unisystem parts because I do have an older Unisystem cat. Well, they're all old at this point, Brent. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I've got a new. No, no, no. They're all old. Uh, I've I've had a Unisystem for a while, and it's I've just had uh, Super Mario Brothers in it, and that's what that's what Grace and my daughter Grace and I like to play on it. And so I've ne- I've never really swapped it out because she enjoys that. But um, I have I have collected a couple daughter cards over. Over the years and you and I were talking before we started uh, before we started recording the show proper kind of need to get all of my red tent slash unisystem uh accoutrements brent to use a 20 dollars word there, there you go. all in one place and then truly inventory everything that i have because i've kind of been i guess i've just kind of been collecting the you know the red tent slash unisystem uh you know items kind of half-heartedly just as i see something that's a good deal oh yeah pick that up and oh yeah i don't have that ppu i'll grab that see that on ebay pick it up for 20 bucks this or that you know just to kind of keep the stuff flowing in with the hopeful intent of one day owning a red tent now that i have it i need to go back and buckle down and get everything in one place and actually understand everything that i have so well i'm the same way i've got you and i were chatting a little bit before the show and and i've got a box of versus stuff as well i put together over the years and i've got two versus unisystems in my game room and they're actually uh, um you know for those that don't know there was the versus was it was it called a dual system whitney yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah so it was a dual system you, yes nintendo fa- had factory the red tent which is a dual monitor dual set of controls mm-hmm. versus system and uh, it ran off one board, and uh-huh. if you look at the board, it's almost it's like almost it's like two boards in one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's two halves on on this on the same right. substrate. To yeah. a degree, it's almost a mirror image. Uh-huh. It is, and one half of the board would run mo- one monitor, and the other half would run the other monitor. Then you had a versus upright, which was like two full size cabinets side by side and they had this little connector in them yes and you know something we saw one of those last year at southern fried game room expo and that is the only time i've ever seen one in person the only time well, I've there's, ever seen there's one someone in person. local that has one. Oh, there is yeah but oh the, wow it's, he's got a pretty substantial game room and it's believe it or not for something that large it's huh. easy to miss uh, well, being being yeah. two Nintendo cabinets kind of offset with each other, I, I yeah. believe that because Nintendo cabinets, I mean, when you compare them to everything else, they're actually pretty small. Yeah, yeah. So then the Unisystems are actually just like conversion kits that you would put in like a Popeye, Donkey Kong, yeah. mm-hmm. a, a DK Junior, whatever. And that's what I've got. I've got a Donkey Kong cabinet and a Junior cabinet that's got Unisystems in it. And those the Unisystems are just a single monitor, and they utilize half of the board. 
operators were able to you know extend the life of the hardware they reuse the monitor and the cabinet and they got a control panel swap out and and there's lots of good games for that system oh yeah i I mean some some classics and you know something brent when i got into the hobby i didn't realize that super mario brothers was ported backwards from the nes onto onto the unisystem hardware that's that's how i understand it yes you know excite bike and things like that Mm -hmm. And when I played them all for the first time, you know, I was like, man, this is this is really good. NES, or Nintendo really nailed the NES ports. I forget where I've read that, but but then I, I, you find out that they actually wrote the NES games first and then ported them backwards for the arcade. Oh, I didn't hardware. realize that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so congratulations on the Thank red you, man. Yeah, I am stoked, dude. I am stoked. So, you know, at, at some point uh, at some point here in the future, I'll, you know, I'll be able to kind of dive headfirst into that and just ha- have a really good time with it. You know, it's the kind of game that, uh, oh, Brent, you've been over to my house. It's going to go down in, like, the entertainment room. I'm not going to have it in the, in the quote-unquote, the game room, mm-hmm. per se. This is a great game to sit out there with a couple of chairs right in a bar area, you know, that's, that's got a little bit of traffic and flow to it. And uh, and it just doesn't, you know, you don't really have to worry about the space that it consumes in the game room, per se. So, yeah, I'm stoked. I've wanted, actually, some kind of cabaret and, and it's kind of hard to describe in my game room but i've as you come down the steps into my game room i've got this section of wall and then on the wall i've got the the master switch that turns on the game the game room but it's just kind of situated in such a way that you can't put an upright there i've got a little count i don't know what you call that whitney where the duct work kind of comes down and it's all it's all covered in drywall and, and works in the room and all that but by the time you if you were to put a game there it would really just you couldn't get into the laundry room because no, actually no, the door to the laundry room's there yeah it would completely restrict your access right yeah, yeah and there's a there's a tempest you know on the on the wall kind of catacorn yeah. to it so sitting, sitting right behind me i wanted a little cabaret to put there of some type or i thought i really need to get my own red tent out and it looks like you've just created a pro- not only do you spend my money but you dictate how i spend my time exactly exactly you know <laughs> level up baby level up Terrible. so uh but uh, but yeah man so so the red the red tent is uh the red tent is here and i'm i'm very thankful for that and like i say i, I appreciate the network of people that that helped me to get it and uh those are they're, they're great guys and definitely friends in the hobby no doubt um, the second thing, Brent, and I went back and looked through my show notes, or looked through the, the past show notes. Last time I talked about this was back in September of 2015. This is episode 33. And uh, I don't know if you remember me mentioning this, but I got hold of, of an older compact machine. It was uh, a model number on it is an SR1030NX, in case anybody wants to search that up and take a look at it, just to kind of see the machine that I was talking about. So, so Brent, I built that machine up, and I, you know, I probably should have closed the loop on that discussion but uh you know the, the great thing about what i'm getting ready to talk about is i get to do this all again um but i you know i, I, I don't know why that's great <laughs> yeah i'm well, looking at that machine it, it, that, it, it is a bit of an upgrade i mean that, that machine had its share of issues but it, it was, looks like just a consumer class machine it is yeah. and, and you know something it was um it, it's a it's a very old machine and 
I had in order to run a few modern components in it, I had to, you know, sink a couple dollars in it just to get, you know, like IDE to SATA converters and, and things like that. Just so it to, wasn't that old. It wasn't that old, yeah. but it but it was more, tr- you know, something, Brent, the machine wound up being more trouble than it was worth. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way to say it. Um, so I'm going to send that machine off to pasture and um, just go go ahead and send it to the recycling center because it's time for it to for it to be gone. But it was a great machine, you know, to build up and you know it was a great DOS machine and like a Windows XP machine if you wanted to run a ROM you know a ROM programmer you know ROM burner or whatever it may be or just run MAME for you know testing games out or you know uh, just running through a ROM set before you burn it and everything like that or uh, you know let's say, you know read a ROM set that you burn then run it back through and make sure that the game plays okay you know things like that so that machine was was okay but Brent this this month I was actually able to come across a stash of um, these are HP RP 5700s and you can go out and, and search those up as well and see an image of those yeah and that now this looks like a, uh, a business class machine it is it is and, and so I was able and for for people that don't know what you know we've mentioned it Winnie and I are, are IT folks and yeah generally the business class machines they tend to be more expensive than the than the equivalent in terms of processor and memory and all that stuff. Consumer grade machines, but they're just a little tougher. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're a little they're, hardier. They're run it over with your truck. Yeah, put it under a desk. Yeah, you know, yeah. put it in the middle of the desert. Hardy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and these are good machines, and and they were going to be recycled. So uh, fortunately, I was able to put my hands on on a couple of them, and uh, and Brent, one of them's coming to you as we talk. Sweet. So so these this will be the perfect. I you know. Here's the thing: you go and you look at the, you know, look at it on on the internet. I mean, this thing is really no, uh, as no, I am doing right now. Exactly, you know, it's really no higher than a shoebox. Okay, it's no, you know, you know, I guess kind of height wise, it's mm-hmm. it's no higher than a shoebox. It's probably the width wise, it's probably three quarters of a shoebox wide if you look at it from the long side, the long edge of a shoebox, and it's maybe a shoebox and a half deep. Now, okay? My feet are smaller than yours. Well, you know, just just take take your standard, you know, take your standard <laughs> sneaker shoebox and go with that but it's it is a great machine because size wise it's the perfect machine to sit a monitor on so the machine and the monitor will really take up no more space than just the monitor itself sitting on a small little pedestal mm-hmm. you know it has built-in serial ports a built-in parallel port so it's perfect for running you know the older you know the the older rom burners and uh and things like that and it's new enough though that it still has sata ports on it uh, you know, you can still run an optical drive on it, you know, without any problem there. And it will run, you can still get updates for it if you wanted to run, you know, Windows Vista yeah, or Windows it looks 7 like it had on Vista. it. So you can yeah. probably do 7 on it real quick. So you quick. can do 7 on it as well using Vista drivers. But for me, it's the perfect DOS and Windows XP machine, you know. So, so yeah, which so is, I'm, which is what I'm I, super stoked yeah. about that. Which is yeah. what I would think of because, you know, exactly. la- last episode we were talking about imaging hard drives. Yep. And... I struggled. I was getting into that same position you were talking about, like converters from the modern yeah. hard drive SATA standard it's, to an IDE, which is the standard prior. Yeah. So that I could plug in the drives from Hydro Thunder or, or 
actually all the arcade games that I can think of that would fall kind of in our area of interest. Yeah. They're all going to be that IDE standard. Exactly. And I'm like, I don't have anything I can plug this into and well, work on it. You know what's great about this machine? Because it has onboard SATA ports on the motherboard. You could just take an extension, you know, like a SATA extension onto a, you know, onto like one of the PC card, and like the PC card backers on the back of the machine. Mm-hmm. And you could output a couple SATA ports to, let's say like an IDE puck or a SATA puck to where you could just use those as hard drive carriers. So if you wanted to duplicate a couple of drives, it'd be very easy to to externally, you know, to externally locate a couple of the SATA ports off the motherboard and then bring, you could run does, does hard drive have, imaging or something like that. Does it have onboard IDE as well? It does, yeah, oh, for, okay. for the optical mm-hmm. drive. And so you don't have to run an optical drive, just extend that, that IDE port out of the machine if you wanted a true IDE port sitting outside oh, okay. of the machine. Cool. You know? So yeah, so the great thing about this machine is that ha- you've got some options with it you know it's got onboard video it doesn't need a video card you know the, it, it has onboard serial and parallel as i mentioned so i mean this thing is you know hardware wise is kind of like the best of both worlds I, I think i've said this on the show before funny thing is is several years before i started into the hobby yeah uh i had a collection of what at the time were older pcs yeah and at one point in time i went through and i lined up i must have had six or eight okay and i i put a keyboard with each one and you know maybe a mouse or something i basically made a little package out of each one yeah and i taped them taped it all together yeah as a unit uh-huh. and i took it all and donated it yeah I, I and know. i thought i i will never need this stuff again but now it's like you actively search that stuff right. out it, and, I, at one point in time yeah. i had stacks of old 8088 and 286 class machines as well yeah and i mean <laughs> just just even if they were broken Every component in, on the motherboards, the memory, uh, the chips, everything. I yeah. mean, all of it could have been stripped and used for game parts. It, it, yeah, exactly right. So I, I was not going to let the opportunity pass by mm-hmm. without grabbing these machines because otherwise, Brent, they were just going to go to recycling. And I didn't want that to happen. So uh, like I say, they'll all have to be formatted. They'll all have to be clean. They'll all have to be, you know, for lack of a better term, gone over with some simple green, you know, things like that. But these are very good bases for machines for working within our hobby. So I was very, very happy to get those. Um, let's see. Uh, next thing, and I, I did want to, uh, I did want to revisit this topic as well. And this was from episode thirty. Okay, so back in May of 2015, and I, I, Brent, I don't know if you remember me talking about this, but I picked up a. HP ScanJet uh, 4670. Okay, do you remember me talking about this? I do. Okay, all right. And so I'm googling this because I think I'm. I think I know what this is. Okay, awesome. So I reached out, and and I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I reached out to Rich and Kendra at this old game back at that point in time and asked Rich what scanner do you use for scanning artwork? And he was like, hey, Whitney, here's what I use. This is beyond a shadow of a doubt the best scanner that I've ever come across for, for scanning artwork. You know, side, you know, artwork on the sides of games or, you know, flat control panel overlays and things like that. And so, um, so you know, I, I searched it up and found one, picked it up on eBay back in the day. But Brent, when I, you know, when I got it home and I started doing, you know, more of the advanced, uh, I guess, kind of research on this scanner, 
I found out that um, and Rich told me about this and he gave me a heads up on it. But you know, you then you start looking into the into the real details on it, or I guess the further details on it. That's the better way to say it, the further details on it. And you realize that it's like, oh wow, this is a great scanner, but HP stopped supporting this scanner with Windows XP. You know, from a from a total functionality mm-hmm. standpoint, and so. Yeah, know, they're, they're on eBay. They're available, and they're not that expensive. They're really not that expensive. So, again, it's the HP ScanJet 4670, if anybody is looking for a good scanner. And, Brent, I have been uh, I've been working with my ScanJet 4670 <laughs> over the course of the month. And uh, what I've done, Brent, is I have uh, you know gotten, gotten the guy out and uh, you know updated all the drivers, everything like that. Uh, <laughs> you've, brought, you've brought him up to 2001. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Did, and uh, I built a, um, I, I took I took an old laptop, installed Windows XP on it, and then went through the process of you know getting all the drivers up and running and and you know and using the HP software. Okay, so and, and so real quick, so the people understand what's so special yeah. about this is most most scanners. When you think of a scanner, you think of a flatbed scanner, almost mm-hmm. like a copy machine. This looks like. I, I don't have anything for a real frame of reference. No, no, it's, 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 like a, it's like a picture. Fr- it's like it's, a see-through picture frame. Exactly right. Yes. And maybe it's the size of what's the what's the diagonal on it, Whitney? Twelve inches, fourteen uh, inches? No, no, no. It's about fourteen and a half, okay. actually. Yeah, somewhere so around in there. It's got a bezel around it, and it's see-through. And you can actually take this thing and s- you can hold it vertically up against a wall, up yeah. against the side of a cabinet. Yep. You could. Um, Put your face in it and hit scan. That's exactly right. Was, it's know, a family show, with and we're going to keep it that yeah, way. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't actually. It's not like a like a, a copier type of a oh, deal. No, no, you no, can no. Hold it's, it in the, in the air, free, and stick it against something and, and scan. And stick it against something yep. and scan it. And that's what that's the beauty of it. It also comes with a stand where you can set it on your desk, and then the the stand has a little flap to where you can treat it like a flatbed scanner, sitting kind of on its side, so to speak. So you can open up the flap, drop a document in there, and close the flap, and then use the scanner to scan the document as it's resting against the glass. But uh, you, you, we we wouldn't use it for that, you know, not not for not for hobby purposes. So what I did, Brent, like I said, is I got the laptop out, installed Windows XP. Which, did you know how hard it is to get Windows XP completely up to date now? It's a task. I didn't think you could do that. It, you still can, you still can, but it's a task. Okay, I, and I, don't you have to actually like set a registry setting to make it seem like it's like a point of sales thing or an ATM operating system. No, you're you're thinking about Windows XP embedded, which which is actually still under support okay. until twenty nineteen for anyone who okay, <laughs> for anyone right. who's tracking that. But uh but normal XP is out of support. But believe it or not, if you if you install Windows XP and you go to Windows Update, none of that stuff works, but the automatic update client will still go out and, and install all the updates in the background. There's no there's no good user interface for it. You just have to install XP and then let it sit, and <laughs> it remember, works. You remember in uh, uh, it will it will it, actually bring itself was completely it Captain up to date. America Winter Soldier when Captain America and uh, um, Black Widow were in that army base. And they went down and it was this room full of tape drives and all that. Yeah, and it had a yeah. USB stick in it. Yes. And all of a sudden, all, so that's what happened. Somewhere at Microsoft, 
this little light went on and, and it, it said oh there's it, one dude here who needs to update windows and xp some guy pushing a broom was yeah. like what's going <laughs> and that's the, that, that that probably is you know how it goes and there's a tape drive that you know he'd been putting his lunch on for the past decade that spun up and, and streams all the updates down to, to my windows laptop XP, the, yes. yeah down down to whitney's laptop but uh but here's the thing brent so i went through the process got the got the machine as up to date as it possibly can be and you know installed the hp software went through the process did a couple of test scans with it I liked yeah I liked how it ran but the the problem that I found myself with is that Brent, I just didn't want to be sporting an XP machine around and and have to deal with, I guess, just have to deal with depending upon that machine, okay? So what I did is you know, after I got it all up and you know up to date as it possibly could, I popped the hard drive out of it and I did what we've talked about, Brent, is I imaged the hard drive and just saved an image of it, okay? And then I went back and you know erased the hard drive. I put Windows 7 on it and that kind of leads me to my next uh, you know to, to the next bullet point here is on that particular scanner and I'm trying to do a PSA here on that particular scanner Brent it's not supported on Windows 7 or, any, or anything newer than Windows Vista they do have a driver for Vista but it's just a base functionality driver only and the scan even HP scan software will not work with the Vista driver it only works with the XP driver did you have to get into some funky emulation thing no 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 I didn't okay. so I did some research and I found a company called Hamrick Software and Hamrick uh, offers a piece of software called View ViewScan Professional. In ViewScan, uh, if you go out to hamrick.com, uh, you can you can look at the ViewScan software. And Brent, I, I had no idea the software existed, but apparently it's been out for a decade or more. I just have never had the need for it and never have had, the, I guess, the, the, the wherewithal to say, let me go out and find alternate scanning software, you know, outside of what's provided by the manufacturer. But uh, ViewScan Professional is a very well-regarded piece of software. Um, I went back and read some some of the historical PC mag, you know, uh, reviews on it and everything like that. It's won a lot of awards, both on the both for the Windows software as well as the Mac software. The great thing about ViewScan, Brent, is that it it breathes literally breathes new life into old scanners because Hamrick has taken on the gauntlet of supporting all of these older scanners on modern operating systems. Okay. Okay. So you can grab a copy of ViewScan Professional. Is it you, freeware? Or is it no, purchase? No, no. Because is, I would hope that they're actually getting paid for this. They are getting paid for it because you do. You can try before you buy. Okay. What it does though is if you haven't paid for it, it it, um, it injects a watermark into your scanned images. Okay. But it does allow it, it's you. Our, to, it's our logo, isn't it? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no kickbacks on that deal, buddy. Dang, dang it. Yeah. So uh, so you know I installed it. I went through the process. I scanned the side art or some side art off of my zookeeper cabinet i'm like man zookeeper while you're sitting there and me doing nothing to you you're going to be my test bed you know so at least got something out of it and uh and brent it worked it worked fabulously so um you know i've now got a laptop running windows 7 it's at least you know maintainable it's at least secure while it's on the internet and everything along those lines are more secure than windows xp and uh and you know the the hp scanjet uh scanner is fully supported by the ViewScan software and I'm I'm up and going okay so yeah I 
I would highly recommend you know everyone taking a look at that because I was very impressed with the level of detail and once you once you tell it which scanner you're using with it then it customizes its, its interface some so that it will support some of the functions on the scanner like the scan button and, and everything like that so that you don't have to be standing at the PC to initiate a scan because Brent if you're you know scanning an arcade cabinet from 30 feet away you can hit the scanner button the button on the scanner and initiate a scan from standing at the machine rather than standing at your laptop so so i guess that's kind of what ties a bow around this is this given that this is what rich and uh um i just want kendra kendra yeah Yeah, Kendra Kendra. recommend over at this old game yeah and you just mentioned scanning a cabinet artwork you want to you're you're putting yourself in the position to have the flexibility to scan some artwork oh yes what it sounds oh like. yes well, well really scan anything whether it be cpos whether it be you know um older advertising flyers whether it be you know uh let's say you know box box artwork on for atari games or nintendo games your, or whatever it may your be your face yeah my face whatever it may be <laughs> as if the world needs that i'm but, thinking that's, but, anyway. that's going to be the new header for the for the facebook page <laughs> it me smashed against some glass but uh but nonetheless brent i'm i'm really pleased because i took the time you know kind of start to finish and built up what is essentially now a portable scan station okay i've got the scanner See, I've now got you've the done laptop. all the homework i may just buy one now on ebay dude do it i mean i mean i mean brent that's the that's the power of the show i mean there's been many Many times, like I'll mention it here, I kind of jump ahead here. Like, dude, I, I did the online, uh, I did the order from online components. This I was going to say that exact ba- based, same thing, based exactly off of everything that you talked about last month. So, dude, so take the work, the homework that I've done, and profit from it. I know we've got Go, feedback from a couple listeners that yes, did exactly that. Yes, yes, and we'll, we'll get into that later in the show. But, dude, get on eBay, get the forty six seventy, buy the ViewScan Professional, get a modern laptop, and it'll work. It'll work flawlessly. See, it's now, here, perfect. Here's the deal is given yeah. that given that um you know we control when the show goes out yeah i can go out right now and scour ebay for the best deal get but, it get it before, before get it before a handful out. of listeners go and snipe them off of ebay this, okay oh, what is this this dude has one for 30 bucks but the the hook this is where he gets it he where he values it because the shipping is 43 dollars yeah, don't 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 do that man oh my gosh i'll tell you what i paid for mine i went back and looked it up the the other day i paid 65 dollars for mine but it was free shipping but brent i found one new in the box <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, when I got it, I, I actually cracked the blister seal off of it, oh, and, that's and, sweet. and there it was. So it was, um, you know, it, it was it was a very good deal, I thought anyway. So um, so anyway, Brent, um, uh, I mentioned online components. Let me mention that, and then I'm going to get back to the last bullet point for my okay. kind of updates for the month. Okay. So I did go and purchase, and Brent, I didn't realize this. Um, I didn't realize how much it would take to get to the $50 minimum order for online components, because you were, I mean, last month you were doing, you, know, you were doing a really good job of, you know, outlining, you're outlining everything that that a guy in the hobby, or a guy or a gal in the hobby, should order in order to work on monitors. And I'm like, I need to get this. I need to get this, and I need to get this, and I need to get this. So I went out and, and I put all that stuff in my cart, and I was like, "Oh wow, that really only comes up to about eleven dollars." <laughs> and, and, so, and that's what's so awesome about it. I, I think I mentioned it in the show. I say this yeah, all the time. Tish, yeah, Tish, how good my memory is. the The toolkit, yes, is what started the the search. Yes, and yes. I found one on eBay, and it happened to be a kit that I already had, but the 
model number, the part number was different. Yes. And it was obvious looking at the 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 package and the tools that were included, it was the same kit. Right. And then that new part number led me to search you know, in a broader sense, which led me to online components, yeah, which yeah. led me to realize they had the whole GC catalog. <laughs> and that, that site is and amazing, the, dude. And no, no, I'm sorry. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you're thinking, oh, am I paying a buck 50 or $2 for a piece of plastic? But it's, they're actually, no, no, you'll do it yeah, because it's good stuff. They're, they're very well made. I mean, cause yes, I've got some very yes. inexpensive versions Yep. and it's, it's just, it's night and day difference. I, I hate to say this, but when I got my order in, I I took all the stuff that I'd gotten from Bob Roberts and I chucked it because it was that big of a difference. Well, and honestly, in Bob's defense, I have had... That's I'm, true. In Bob's defense... I had a, I've got a couple kits from Bob. Yep. And the earlier kit I got, like when I first started in the hobby... Well, it was probably good. It was what? very good. Now they feel like the ultra cheap, ultra light kind of knockoffs that you would get on eBay. I mean, if you went and looked for like a TV adjustment tool set on eBay, yeah, that's you're, you you're, get. getting, you're getting something that literally costs 70 cents to manufacture from start to finish. And it feels like if you if you even put put it between your fingers and press just a little bit, it's going to snap in two. Exactly. And, and, that, I, and that's, what set, that's what set me on the hunt for a new set because yes. I was kind of putting that I was kind of expanding my travel kit uh-huh. and I found myself taking my the the kit that I use my main kit everywhere I, everywhere I'd yeah okay well I'd put it I'd take it with me oh yeah. I, I need it and it's at home and exactly that's what sent me looking because I had a secondary kit I had bought later when I'm sure this I mean this stuff is drying up and you know some of the stuff I got from online components <laughs> order your 50 bucks worth yeah. that's all I can say some of the stuff I got and some of the stuff I saw in pictures from other listeners uh-huh. it was pretty obvious that it was old it was new uh-huh. but it was older stock. Yes, yes. Because the definitely. packaging style and artwork was different. It was it was different. So, and, and so I went and ordered, um, here's the four parts that I, or the four part numbers that I ordered, okay? Uh, the 2520, which is the red plastic alignment tool, okay? I ordered some of those. The 18-530, which is the, what you're talking about, the Brent, kit, yep. the, the alignment tool kit, ordered a few of those. The And, and these are the favorites, man. And, and you did, I mean, whether people got have ordered a, them or not, you did everybody a solid on this, oh, dude. I, I'll give you I've, that. One, I've got a story on this later. And two, it is by far the most useful one that I've got. <laughs> Man, I, I, yes. And uh, so I ordered uh, a few 8729s and 9293s, which are the fiberglass extensions, or as we call them here, we call them here on the show, Brent, the tappers. The tappers, yeah. The tappers. And Brent, when my box from Online Components came in... It was like Christmas. It was like Christmas. I was... <laughs> where's my General Lee horn? I don't have it with me tonight, and I feel like naked without it. But uh, this is one of those scenarios where I would play the General Lee horn because I was so happy, dude. But uh, yeah, thank you for that. You know, you did us a solid, and it really, really worked out. Here's the thing, though, man. I didn't really... Like I say, I didn't realize initially that it took a $50 minimum. So mm-hmm. man, I, I and, and I ordered a few other little knickknacks to toss in there, but from from but from the GC perspective, which is what everybody here really cares about, that's what I ordered and I had to order a multiples of each in order to get myself close enough to the $50 where I could carry myself over with a couple extra ancillary parts. Uh but yeah, I was super happy about it. It's just that 
man, I, I don't really know when I'm going to place an, another order from them or if I will, because I don't see myself needing another $50 yeah. from the guys. Well, you know? I, it was kind of a one-time deal, I guess. What I ended up doing to pad my order over yeah. is the, the, I can't think of the part number right now. It's a WT something, the classic kind of all-in-one crimper that people use for just about every yeah, pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to say it's for whatever oh, there's one there's you're talking a, about the yellow handled wall yes right? exactly yeah exactly there, uh, there's a specific pen it's used it's designed is it, is for it Waldron or Waldem Walden I think Walden you're okay. probably thinking of Mr. Mr. Jeff, Jeff Waldron, Waldron. Yeah, yeah that's what I am so Jeff shout out to you we've actually we've got some of your feedback later in the show dude yeah so it's designed for a specific size pen yeah but you I've used it Bob sells it it's like the go-to crimper I've used it for pretty much anything and everything in a pinball and arcade from any manufacturer yeah you know they're like 12 or 13 bucks and uh, you know what a burnishing tool is i do yes uh and they're they're to like clean contacts like um like switch contacts yeah like high you know high current contacts like in pinball machines or whatever uh you know they're a couple bucks i ordered some of those i I found things to go ahead and add to the order to, you know, update some of the tools I kept in the shop and to yeah. add to the carry kit. So, well, and that's the reason why I bought multiples of what I got so that I, I think I, I think I told you, it's like I bought one to have one to use a spare one for my carry kit and then one to lose. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of how it went or break or break. Yeah. Or step on or something like that. And, you know, I say that it was a one-time order. I don't know, but maybe I'll find some more stuff, you know, a little bit later down the line but i don't see placing orders from them on a regular basis just because of the minimum order maybe it's maybe you order from those guys once a year or something like that just as you as as you find stuff that you want to upgrade or replace and and then toss another extra couple this or that into the order just to you know every every summer you find a way to bump it over 50 bucks and send the order on its way it's something like that ht 1921 is that's the crimper you're talking about yeah okay good deal good deal so i hear the internet furiously writing all this down and if they're wise they did that so yeah hopefully they can hopefully everybody you guys can get your order in as well you know this is a perfect example of all these companies like buying one another out because the 1921 is the key part number but it's also a w-ht-1921 which i think is the the now I'm going to say Waldron again. The Walden, <laughs> Walden, yeah. Walden component. Yeah, and then you'll also see it as a WHT. 1921 GC, like from GC Electronics, the company yes. that makes the alignment tools. So right, right. Just look for an HT 1921. Yeah, and, and then you'll find you'll find what you're after. So, so anyway, so the, I, I did want to close the loop on the online components, but let me jump back up for a second, Brent. I'm just going to touch on this for a minute, mm-hmm. okay? But I do want to make a point of of talking about this before we flip over to you, okay? So I so I did all of the work on the scanner for for a certain reason. And Brent, I'm getting ready to Brent, I'm getting ready to take on a project that I think uh, will go down in my own personal arcade history as the project of all projects. And if this is going to be a multi-month effort. I can't really say a whole lot about it just yet, but I do want to let everybody know that uh, there's we're, we're going to we're going to be bringing. Uh, bringing the boom here over the next several months uh to the podcast as far as a project that i'm working on and um i'm just i'm so excited to be to be 
be starting on it, but it's uh, it's it's Brent. This this is going to be a project, um, maybe another year or so before it's all done. But um, I, I had to get some I had to get some preliminary work done before I could start on this. And you know, getting the scanner and the scan station and everything like that up and going was was necessary. So I kind of sidelined some other stuff in order to work on the scanner. But you know, hopefully everybody can find a scanner and you know get the software and scan whatever you want as well and get some benefit out of it but um yeah this was an order of operations for me but i am looking so forward to the day uh, or the episode and i were probably a couple of episodes out Brent, when i can when i when i can, can actually talk really about pull this the curtain back. and pull the curtain back on this project but just suffice it to say I think everybody is going to uh, really, really love, uh, really love the news of the project that I'm working on. So, anyway, that that's it. So, so secretive it, it is, and, and I hate to be that way, but I want to be that way because that's, <laughs> that's what okay. makes that's what makes it fun, man. That's what makes it fun. It's like it's like we've gotten into pinball class secrecy. Yeah, but, but no, but, I understand. No, no, it's it, it, trust me. When when I go back and tell the story, everybody will. You? When I go when I edit, I'm actually going to put an aside in and just blab it all over the place. <laughs> Don't do that. You can't do. Oh, you, you can't do me that way, brother. You can't do me that way. But uh, but anyway. So uh, so I mean, that's really what I've had going on, Brent. And then I guess just from, you know from a personal perspective, and um, won't bore everybody with the details. But then I go back and look at you know like you were talking about at the, at the very onset of the show. I look at what's been going on this month, and dude, I wrote this down. You know, in our in our one note here, it's like. I think about it. And it's like, man, there's a lot going on this month. So my brother got married this month, Brent. So we had a wedding in the family and everything that's involved with that. Uh, it was also my wedding anniversary between my wife and I is our 15th anniversary, dude. 15. And so, man, I wish you to mention that to me. I would have sent her flowers and, and a note of condolence. <laughs> uh, she probably would have uh, appreciated that because she would have said, "Finally, is it, somebody gets it." Is your somebody is it your birthday it. upon us too, uh, dude? My birthday's tomorrow. Oh. Uh, as we're recording this on July the twentieth, my birthday's the twenty first. Happy my, my, birthday! Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. You know, I can actually sing that now because I think it was decided that copyright. It's not copyrightable. It's, it, I think it's in the. If, it, I think it's in the the public domain yes, at this point. I think it from is what I, from yes. what I understand, I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, I, pr- I, I feel better that. about being able to. Yeah, okay, there, there you go. And and you know, as you and I were talking, Brent, I've got it's summer, and that always equals work travel for me to, for for a bit. And uh, and then I also have some travel coming up for the project that I just mentioned, the project with no name. How about that? <laughs> and so uh, so yeah, July and the first of August is going to be just jam-packed with uh with some travel both work and personal uh but uh yeah that's that's my that's my month of july dude i I, you know i look back on it and and it certainly wasn't a bad month at all it's just you know you got family commitments and other stuff going on in life and you know you try to balance everything as best as you can i understand that it's it's kind of a balancing game it is man it is so so that's me dude how about yourself what's what's been up well, one of the things I've been doing is as strange as the sound is I have been catching up on other podcasts. Yeah. I, I come to realize that I was way behind in, in the last thing. Dude, I am so behind as well. And, and I like to do it. One, I want to just kind of catch up with uh, um, other folks that do what we do. I yeah. Mean, the oh, arc- yeah. The arcade community is small enough as it is. Yeah. 
And then even though it seems like there's a lot of podcasts and there are, there are relatively speaking, it's that's, it's even a smaller community. Yeah. And to a degree, the majority of us, I mean, we, it's not like we hang because yeah. even it's a lot just of distance, yeah. you know, geography, well, a lot of the shows, I think Whitney, you and I are unique in that we actually, not only are we in the same city and actually we're not even the same city, but we're, we're pretty close. But we record face to face every single episode. Right, that's right. And yes, most of the shows out there, they actually they don't have that luxury. No, so, I'll say this: we're very fortunate. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my better half is uh, is understanding of how we record the show. So, shout out to my wife for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right, Brent. I mean, we're fortunate because we do get to sit across from each other and record our shows in the same room. Yes, I like that too. So I, I am way behind, and I like to keep up because yeah, I want to hear what other shows are doing, yeah. what they're covering, what they're talking about, what what they do, yeah, you know, what it, what they've done in the hobby. And, and I mean, I'm the same way. I feel somewhat of a fiduciary responsibility to listen to other podcasts. It's just, and I do, and I actively listen every month, Brent. I I just run behind. I'm never current. That's the issue. I'm hardly ever. I'm hardly ever, if ever, current. Well, I've gotten almost everything caught up but i was way behind on 10 pence yeah and i did the math looking at their shows and i just kind of did like the rough math those, in my those head are machines dude and, and i this is what i can't figure out with Vic and sean man they 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 do it they, i think they Vic and sean out. i think they birth a podcast as best as i can tell every 43 and a half minutes <laughs> and the strange thing is is the shows are oh. generally like two hours i know i know so i don't know if there's like a rip in time and space in the uk or i don't yeah. know how it works i think what they do is they they vault themselves around the sun and you know it works in star trek so. I'm, I'm 10 behind so i started i picked back up at 55 and, and i'd have to go back and look at the titles but 55 it was a game that they that I thought, ah, I'm not too up on that. I'll skip that. And then there was so much feedback in the next show about the prior show. I'm like, well, I got to listen. I got to go, go listen back, to it go now. And listen to it. Yeah. You know, you know, th- it's a great show. So it, I, it I've been trying I, to catch I, I up. I love their show. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to listen. I'm to. listening to one of the, the show now where they're, they, re- for those that don't listen to their show, they talk about kind of like we do, what, what have you been doing? Pickups. And they've got a, some reoccurring segments where they do some history and stuff and some real cool stuff. And then they spotlight a game. They talk about the game. They play the game. Yeah. And they've been building up to and decided to do just an overview of the 60 and one board and touch on the games and kind of, you know, if they have some intimate knowledge, like Vic is real good at Dig Dug. I need to go listen to that if they're talking about the 60 and one. Yeah. Yeah. So they they go through all the games. Okay. And, you know, they can, if if it's something they're real familiar with, they can kind of give you, okay, well, like I said, Vic's good with Dig Dug. And he can say, well, it plays so close or it doesn't. or yeah. So they go into it. That show's like a four-hour show. And uh, I, I don't know whether they're trying to compete with us or what. No, but no, no, no. Yeah. No. They, no. They, better, they, better inter- they better review like the 182 and one if they want to keep up with like a broken token type. <laughs> well, length. all I can tell you is long podcast. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's an hour that draws on itself. So why, why, would Vic and, why would Vic and Sean do that to themselves? You know? I don't know. I mean, th- this is accidental torture is yeah. what this is. I, you know? I was like four hours like, all right, boys. All right, boys. You're yeah. stepping it up, Ga- aren't you? Game on. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been catching That's up. Awesome. I've been catching up with Vic and Sean, and 
have you have you seen what Nick Baldridge over at the uh, uh, and Nick buddy? I know I have I do this every time. I, I freely admit I am terrible with names, but the complete name of your show I always think of it as the EM and Bingo podcast. But uh, it's for amusement only. The EM and Bingo podcast. Yes, he is actually making a multi multi bingo. Oh, no, I did not know and, that. And he's got bits and pieces of this on his Facebook page. Now, okay, so, okay, all right, okay. And I didn't realize that's what that was for. What, the Facebook page? Uh, no, 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 the pictures he was posting. I would see them fly by, but, I, but I'd but i never, I'd look at the pictures, but never really, never really delved into mm-hmm. the project, I guess. He, well, he's got some videos up as well. Okay. And what, what I haven't gotten the backstory on is what he's doing like to trade out like the play field or whether he's honestly when i said hello to you whitney i told you everything i knew about bingos and (laughs) it it he's got a play field in some of the videos that i've seen and it may just be that a lot of the bingos at the end of the day have a similar if not almost identical play field and then the magic is in Basically, what goes on in the back glass to make your lines for your numbers. I see. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm trying to get this number, this number, and this number to make this line to do whatever the score is. I mean, so dude, are you like going to go closet well, EM or what? Well, the interesting thing Not about that it there's is anything wrong with that. Brent. It's a cross between in the videos I've seen. He is like a mad scientist because it's a cross between modern electronics. He's got an LCD back box where he's changing out the glass. And I'm just even thinking. Oh, I need to go look at this closer. Then. I'm just even this, thinking. This, sound, this sounds awesome. Oh yeah, I'm just thinking of the work that that was that went into digitizing the images for the back glasses because when he in his videos takes a ball and he'll you know serve a ball up and he'll set it in a hole. Well, then that hole fills in in the digital display. Oh nice. And then when he gets credits. There's a physical knocker that fires in the cabinet, and then there's a credit display that's in the image of the back glass that seamlessly advances. Oh, no. And it's just, it's like, I'm definitely going to look at this. Pinball steam, functional pinball steampunk. Yes. I mean, it is nuts. Yeah, that sounds so sweet then. So if you get a chance, check out Nick's page. It's the, uh, it's for amusement only, the EM and Bingo podcast. Okay. Awesome. So. All right, and speaking of podcasts or catching up, man. All right, I got I got an admission. <laughs> yeah, you it's see like, what you see what I put in I the put, show notes. I put you? that in there. Yeah, it, it's not. It's an admission about an addiction. Yeah, and it is not Pokemon Go. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting there today, and I, I was looking in the one note, and I saw you. I it's saw in this there in the and notes, and I'm like, I'm like, don't, t- don't, do not tell me Brent's playing Pokemon Go. This is a, this this cannot be happening. Is that when you get up, you're like, all right, I'm done. No, I flip, yeah, I stand up in the restaurant, I flip the table over and walk away. Done. You know? I'm done. Not only did you put that in the show notes, it's bold, it's in red, and I think the font size is larger. Yeah, it's like a 98 font. You yeah. Know? yeah, exactly. So, and this is related. I have never been a YouTube person. Okay. And I don't know how many times I have heard someone younger than me, which isn't hard to be, you know, someone 10 years younger than me, Man, a we're millennial. Hang, we're, we're hanging tight. Right? Yeah. We're hanging tight. Say, oh, well, you know. Oh, I, just, I saw it on YouTube. And, and everything that goes through my mind is, you know, honestly, I have learned a lot of things by practical example. I you get can in, learn a lot of things by watching YouTube as well. You're right. Yes, you can. You know, you are absolutely right. But it just never sunk in with me. Yeah. I would get, I've used YouTube as a reference on a couple of occasions, but 
I, I, mean, I don't religiously watch YouTube. I know people that just pretty much they will live on YouTube and that's like their television. Yes. Okay. I have gotten addicted to video podcasts. Okay. Electronics podcast. Okay, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, it, it's yes. I, I wish. I, I'm, I'm glad you've got the time. I'm glad you can set it up and and get something done while you're watching. That's always been the biggest thing for me. Is it's like, how do I devote so much time right. to watching on YouTube? That, well, and that's the challenge that I have. It's like it having the tablet with YouTube is like having TiVo with yeah. me or a DVR. Yep, if I'm yep. going to sit down and wind down for a little bit at the end of the night. I can I can fire up a video, close the tablet, and open it the next day, and it's right where I want it to be. Yeah. If I bounce around somewhere in the channel, yeah, and I come back to that video, it'll yeah. pick right back up yeah. at that spot. I know. I know. It. I mean, you've got to admit, YouTube is a highly curated service that you can tell has a tremendous amount of engineering behind it because it works so well. <laughs> so, so here's the funny, funny story. The the videos I've been watching. It, we've talked about these guys before. I have been watching the E E v blog yep i remember you talking about okay that's ee edward edward v victor eev blog all right and he, the uh dave is the guy that runs a channel his last name escapes me right now but dave is half of a podcast called the amp hour amp amp hour and we'd mentioned the amp hour before they had an interview with chuck pedal who is the father of i think it was the 6509 or yeah that was back in episode 30 may 2015 brent okay when the, it was when that came up so, so we yeah. talked we talked about the amp hour and we referenced the episode and it was very interesting to listen to you know he mentioned pinball and video a little bit because that's the processors were used that series of processors were used in videos and pins as, as well as a lot of other things yeah well dave had has tons of videos where he just repairs stuff he he dumpster dives and pulls out monitors and uh just <laughs> off the wall electronics and he does these tear down videos and i have learned so much more and i continue to learn just watching yeah now here's the funny thing when we we were talking about the tapper we were talking about online components and we were talking about those alignment tools and the long alignment tool and i'd mentioned that i've used it and one of the things i'll do is if i find an intermittent fault i'm a, what i've learned that an electrical engineer will call a mechanical issue uh-huh. it's something mechanical a physical joint a connect connector or I something see, i see okay we're going back up when i described what i did i i think i even said during the show that i, I was almost embarrassed to, to mention it because it just seemed like a weird technique who starts beating on electronics you know and sure enough one of these videos that i'm watching dave has a poker and he calls it his poker uh-huh. it's one of the it's one of the like the alignment tools that i recognize okay and that's what he uses in his teardowns to point at stuff yeah and i'll be darned if at one point during one of these teardowns he doesn't take that poker and he's See, he there found you go. an intermittent issue, yeah. and he was trying to narrow it down. See, Brent, we so all, he starts. We, we all learn from each other. So, and, and I, you know, here I was. I was talking about, you know, we we've got folks like Steve Ridge. Yeah. Steve Ridge is a drummer. Yep. He's an accomplished drummer, and I'm thinking there's somebody out there like Steve, and he's going to start tapping on something. He's going to fall into his old ways, and before he knows it, he's going to have played the entire Def Leppard Pyromania album on his monitor, <laughs> and then halfway through like Taylor Swift's 1989 album, Steve's going to go, "Wait a minute, this isn't fixed." Yeah, and here's here's a professional electrical engineer who is 
got just an, an untold amount of content on YouTube who actually makes a good portion of his living based on his YouTube videos. Yes. And he's doing the same thing that I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, vindication. That is so awesome. Did, did you go, did you go like, yes. Yes. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently watched where he was actually fixing his mom's television. And, and Dave does all kinds of stuff. One of the things I've, I've also watched is he's got several videos on uh, multimeters. And I've been considering stepping up my multimeter. Okay. And so I've been looking at his videos. And he's got different price range shootouts and covers different things. And um, somewhere in the process, I, I got into one of his repair videos where he was repairing his mom's TV. And he was doing the same thing. He got his poker out. And he found a physical fault. And he started, he put the camera on in front of the television, the camera he was recording with. And he starts poking stuff. Yeah. Until he finds it. Yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not completely just ham-fisting this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So other than that, other than just kind of catching up on things, my shop's clear. I've got stuff clear, uh, cleaned up around here. I had um, uh, the Hydro Thunder that I mentioned that was that belonged to you know Jimmy Jimmy Lindsay, Christie's dad, and I mentioned on the last show that I was. I think I mentioned that that I had a problem with the steering board, the force feedback. You, you did, yeah, okay. and, you, and you swapped it out for one that for one that was working. Yep, and, yeah. and figured out what the problem was. I had to order the part. It was the LM12 op amp, and I actually had to get the thing from Canada. They're actually a little pricey, and apparently, from what I can figure out, they were pretty common in some audio amplifiers, like stereo, like home stereo amplifiers. And you know, it's a long since out of production part you know they've moved on to something else and, okay you know you're not going to digikey or mauser and buying it so you're finding it on the secondary market and that's kind of what i had to do and it took a little while to get it here but i mean what's the cost on those brand i mean it's, they run it, about 40 it, bucks in a to3 package like yeah. that yeah 40 bucks they run 40 bucks jeez sure that's do. a lot of money for something so small on the low side yeah yes wow okay and you know, I could you looking around. You could buy another board on average, say fifty to fifty five dollars. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of them are untested, and it's just like, okay, well, this failed, and if I can get the new part for forty, I'm just going to go get the new part. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about the time you saved yourself, forty bucks buys back a lot of time. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, I didn't have to worry about it. So it was a done deal. So I got that wrapped up, and that's out of the way. I think I mentioned I had the road a Road Kings pinball down here. This was a this is the the perfect uh, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, uh, Rec Bar guys, my buddies had it out at Little Arcade Expo and it broke. And I said, Hey guys, you know, I'm sure it's it, it's acting like it's power. Just bring it by the house after the show. They were kind and you know helped me move all my games. They had a, a a truck with a lift gate and all that, so it just made it so much easier on me this year pay it forward and i said just bring it by here and i'll fix it and, oh my gosh that turned into an absolute nightmare yeah but that's going to be our tech section this week so we're going to talk about william's pinball repair a little later in the show okay so well, it's, well it's it was good fodder for the for the show How yeah about it's, that? it's it's going to have a good turnout but All right, that is repaired and that is gone finally and that's actually on the floor up at rec bar and people are playing it um Another pin I've been looking at, and this is kind of a shout out for uh, for folks out there that maybe have done this and can give me some insight. One of the pins that they recently come across was this: is the Rec Bar guys again was a Gottlieb Premier World Challenge Soccer. So this is a Gottlieb System Three game, and it's 
I, I don't know. I guess maybe it was Gottlieb's answer to uh, a World Cup soccer. Okay. I mean, I've never played it, never even seen I, it. Neither so. had I. And, okay. And once I got my hands on it and got to play it, it's actually got some cool shots and some neat things going on. Okay. It's got independent control on all the drop targets. So there's like two banks of drop targets. And you can, you know, with your plunge, you can select to go ahead and... Oh, that's a cool looking game. Is it, yeah, it is cool. Yeah, it is. You can select the equivalent of going ahead and knocking all the drop targets down. Uh-huh. And when you select that, all the drop targets drop one at a time in a row, oh, like dominoes. And then they... Oh, man. I mean, it's got a lot of neat little man, features and you, neat shots. You know something? I'm looking here at the play field on, on IPDB, and man, it looks like it's got a lot to hit. It does. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Just the uh, the upper right, like where you where you plunge into the game, and then mm-hmm. where you can get back into those lanes, it's it's kind of got some cool things going on. Oh, it's got yeah. a block shot with a drop target. Well, the thing was a re-import, and it's got a UK corn door on it. Okay. For the life of me, you know, they run tokens up there. And for the life of me, I've looked at that, and I've tried to con that thing in every which way and I can. I can make it take a US quarter. Yeah. I can't make it take a, a token. I'm guessing that maybe the U.S. quarter happens to be the same diameter as one of the uh, the one of the British coins. I have no idea. So the, the challenge for the World Challenge Soccer is converting it, converting the coin door. Oh, and when I, you, see. I see. Yeah, when you look at it, it's not like a U.S. coin door where we've got like a wire for the coin switch, and you you know basically when that shorts to ground, when the switch flicks that's registered there is a series there's it's like a cable because it's a multi-denomination coin mech and it's the coin mech is about four to five times in terms of bulk what you what you stand what you would think is a standard u.s coin mech or a standard token coin mech okay and it's actually powered so internally it must be able to discern between a 10 a 10p coin a 10 pence coin and you know i guess a british pound or whatever and then it sends the appropriate pulses yeah okay i you know i'd like to help them convert it i don't have a clue and honestly what i what i may end up doing is figuring out since i know i can make it drop a quarter and it'll read it i may end up just figuring out which pin that pulse goes over and then put putting a just kind of a generic comparator type roll down coin mech in it and kind of cut the door and just call it done i, I don't I, know i see but if I anybody see. out there has any background in what it takes to convert this thing over you know give me a shout it may just be as simple as find uh, a coin door off of any other gottlieb system three game and then just pull the harness where it goes into this little breakout board that then feeds the harness that goes into the mech and then plug the new harness i i, I have no idea it's interesting I, I mean this is it it looks like a fun it looks like it would be a fun game to play in relatively easy to understand the mm-hmm. rule set um probably not a game that i would pick out for my for my own personal game room though but i, I would enjoy playing it i can tell i can tell by that well i could see the game in a uh in an establishment where you've got I mean, soccer is we didn't I didn't play soccer growing up I didn't know anyone that played soccer I did I, oh, I did, did you? yeah but you know something that was a, it was like a park league and it, it wasn't anything yes it was organized but it wasn't highly competitive you know so it, it soccer just didn't really have the draw that that it does everywhere else in the world it, but the states but it's starting to have the draw now it is and honestly yeah. the the 
the demographic that tends to come into their place, they also get a lot of kids because yeah. they're set, they want it to be a family atmosphere. And you know, the play fields, let's just be honest, it's kind of bright and it's pretty. It and, is. And it the is. Person, it's nice. The person that had it LED'd it, so it's it actually looks really nice. Oh, okay. It works nice. real well in, from a visual perspective. So, so, so the machine's in good shape. Oh, yeah. The machine's in really good shape. Yeah, okay. It, <laughs> honestly, you know, it's a re-import. So, yeah. The, a lot of the reimports I've seen have been really beat. Yeah, and this machine really looks like it's never been used. Yeah, so I, I almost—I'd never heard of it. So I almost wonder if it was kind of a flop back in the day. It, you it, know? it may be. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I like I say, looked it up on 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 IPDB and. I can see what you're saying about it being uh, a title that is an answer to another title. Mm-hmm. It, it immediately kind of, kind of, uh, kind of jumps out at you like that. But you know something, you just got to take them for what they're worth, and and I guess kind of go with it. But yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, you have yeah. to play it. I think you'd enjoy it. I, I, oh, I'm I'm almost sure I would. So I mentioned the shop was clear. You know, the Road Kings is out of here. The Hydro Thunder is out of here. Um, I've actually got the game room back and yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's just a weird, you know, it's a great feeling. Whitney, look over your left shoulder and what is now setting back in my shop where it should have never left. Yeah. It goes 88 miles an hour. I know that <laughs> it's time big boy. Yeah, yeah. You and me. I cannot wait for you to get that thing done. Cause I want to play it. I, um, I was very happy to have finally wheeled that sucker back in there, and it is not coming out until it's finished. Yeah, good, so, good for you. Good I, for I'm, you. I'm not going to go into full all out like redecaling the cabinet. The cabinet could use a little love here and there. I'm going to do some touch ups on the play field. It's going to need a couple of inserts. It's the Back to the Future, by the way. Um, and of course, it's going to be working. It's going to be working fabulously if I have anything to say about it. So maybe down the road, we'll do a little cabinet work on it, maybe some re-decals or something and address some of the some of the little minor scuffs and nicks on it. But for now, it's 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 got a bright future ahead of itself. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, like I say, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, a couple of the little repairs. I know I've, I've got a CR70, a Syncor CR70 beam builder, which is uh, my CRT rejuvenator of... of uh, I don't know what you want to say there, Whitney. It's my of choice. Okay. And I've got a, I've got several of them, and kind of the one I use to kind of knock about with to carry around. Man, it's I just realized a year ago it failed. Something in it let out the magic smoke. Oh, I see. And it's been under my bench ever since. And honestly, actually, before I start tearing apart the Back to the Future, yeah, I'm going to bust it open and get it fixed. Yeah, uh, I like I said, I use it for my road unit, and and I kind of want it back, so that's on the list. Yeah, and then finally, to kind of put a cherry on on top of this uh, this cupcake, I am somewhat envious of this because I've I've not been able to do I've not been able to do this despite me wanting to do it. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, so yeah, let us all in it. Let us all in on the scoop, man. Ghostbusters. Now, I know Whitney and I have talked about we we want to get one, and those wheels are in motion right now. But um, let me just head this off with curse you, John Trudeau. (laughs) It's so hard, but it's so fun. Yeah, he did he did that good of a job. Oh my gosh! And the reason I know is because I got about thirty minutes or so. I could have had as long as I wanted, but honestly, it was kind of warm where I was at. But I got about 30 minutes all by myself with a brand new right out of the box pro. Yeah, that's awesome, man. My buddies over at Rec Bar, 
they uh, they picked themselves up a pro, and by the time this show drops, they will have had their their reveal party. They're going to do, uh, of course, it'll be history by the time you all listen to the show unfortunately yeah. now if you keep up with our facebook page you'd know this yeah but you know on, on the 22nd friday the 22nd they're going to have a big event they're going to have the louisville ghostbusters out and they're going to have uh, you know if, if anyone's been into a walmart or a target all the snack manufacturers they all have something with a ghostbusters twist yeah, you know they do. ghostbusters twinkies and so they're going to have a big spread of of those kind of things and other specials and they're going to have a big a big family event and they're going to wheel that sucker out and let everybody play it. I mean, seriously, if you think about it, man, could Stern have picked a, could Stern have picked any better title right now to, or theme to make a, to make a game from? No. I, I don't think so. The, I mean, it's, it just seems like everything lined up perfectly for this. The artwork on that game is beautiful. Yes, there yes, is, it is. There is so much to be said about that, about hand-drawn artwork. It, and we all know, to, to get a game out and to get a license, sometimes they're hamstrung by the licensor. Yeah. And the art becomes that Photoshop type stuff. But yep. it was not the case here. And <laughs> it is gorgeous. It's, it is all beautiful all the time and is it, what it is. And it plays oh. I, I just I, I can't say enough about it. I mean like I said, I played that game I played that pin back-to-back games for a good 30 minutes if not longer honestly i didn't look at my watch and it just I, i'd get trans i just would get trans, fixed, trans transfixed fixed on transfixed, right, yes. what does this do i'm gonna start making this shot and then i'd realize i was like oh what is okay what happened this is flashing what there is just so much going on in that game so many shots to make and I mean, it's a game that I can just tell is going to have a lot of replay value just just from the shots alone. Because trust me, you, there's a lot of them that you just can't brick. I yeah. mean, you've got you've got to be a good player. Yeah. And, and let me let me rephrase that. You don't have to be a good player to enjoy it, but I can see where you will be a much better player having or playing that game yeah, spending time with it fair enough and i yes yes definitely definitely looking forward to looking so forward to it so other than that whitney you know just normal uh normal events in life just trying to keep my head above water but yeah. you and i did actually have a chance to sit down and have a have a dinner with a friend of the show david yeah. paul yeah mr david paul so shout out to him he D- david did us a solid he was coming back uh he was coming back from wisconsin uh, from the spooky pinball open house and he said that was just a, a tremendous amount of fun and he you know I, i've got to give him credit brent he he changed his his drive plan to come through louisville just to sit down and have supper with us and so david we we greatly appreciate that it was a good time i wish i could have stayed longer but we we definitely had a definitely had a very very nice time and, and brent i love making time for doing that kind of stuff it's it's what this is all about out so or is that like an open invite whitney if someone comes to sure. town yeah 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 I'm, I'm happy i'm happy to sit down and, and break some bread with almost anybody man it's great break some bread spill a beer you know how it goes well i i don't know whitney i mean i spend enough time with you as it is so oh it'll do I'm you not, good to spend some more <laughs> i don't know i've not I'm, I, I haven't bought into this yet whitney yeah <laughs> So yeah, if you come through town, uh, reach out to us separately, and then <laughs> a bit of it seriously. Look at Whitney seriously. first. Yeah, yeah. reach out but, to Whitney first. You know, but seriously, if you're all through Louisville, oh yeah, uh, Whitney's travel schedule seems to be totally crazy as of late, and uh, you know, 
mine's not real. I don't really travel a lot, but my schedule gets a little crazy. But you know, with a little heads up, we would love to meet up with anyone that happens oh, to come yeah. through town. Heck yeah. There's there's great Heck places yes. here in town to to play uh, to play games. You know, we, I just was mentioning Rec Bar. We've mentioned Zanza Bar in past yep. shows. That's a great place to go and play good pins and videos. Yeah, doesn't even have to be that. When we got together with David, we just sat down at what was it? Whitney was it a uh, Logan's? A uh, Logan's? Yeah, I was it, it was it was a Logan's. I was thinking yeah. of Charlie's for some reason. Yeah. So. And for those that don't know, those are, you know, good sized chain restaurants here yeah. in the U.S. So, if if you're through town, you know, give us a shout. We'll give sit, us a shout, man. We'll sit down. We'll we'll catch up. We'll play some games. Make and, it happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all good. But yeah, that was that was great. So David, thanks for thanks for taking taking the initiative to make that happen for us. So we we certainly appreciate that. All right, Whitney. So I mentioned a little about the Road Kings and said, hey, this would be a good opportunity to dive into a little Williams pinball repair. That sounds good. So how about we uh, we move on into like a tech and restoration section? Yeah, that sounds good. And then we'll go ahead and uh, I guess kind of uh, round that out by spending uh, spending some of your money this month. And you know something? I was really I, hoping to avoid that. Well, no, it's I'll find it. I'll find a way <laughs> no matter what. So you're you're doomed now. Now, I'm actually kind of disappointed, man. There's, I didn't find as many ways to spend your money this month, but that's common. So, well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, actually, we're paying that forward because through the online components and yeah. the alignment tools, yeah. apparently I'm spending people's other people's no, money. That, so. that's, that's all good. That's all good. So, yeah. So, why don't we go ahead and uh, roll into the next segment and let's, uh, let's talk tech and spend some money, man. Word on the street is you've got the cure for the System 11 blues. Lay, oh lay it on us, man. Oh, yeah. My cure was get rid of that game. <laughs> Shoot it with a gun. Oh, my gosh. I was actually the point where I was uh, texting the owner, and I'm like, you know what? Let's make a deal. Yeah. Sell me this game. So I can destroy it. I'm going to kill it with fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, in retrospect, it wasn't that bad, but it was a little worse off than, than I'd anticipated. So for anyone that maybe have paused the show after the first segment what i'm talking about is my recent experience with a system 11 road king a williams game road kings okay and road kings is it's kind of an interesting game it's not an overly complex game and honestly i think i would almost liken it to what i think was it gottlieb that made what they called street level games where okay whitney's shaking his head yes i I thought that was right and basically, the idea behind these games, and this is a stretch here, some pinheads, you know, some folks that are real deep into it. If I'm off base, you know, correct me, please. But I look at that game since it's of the same genre of, say, a, uh, a Big Guns. Okay. Big mm-hmm. Guns has yeah. a lot more going on. You got the cannons, you've got uh, a couple big swooping wire form ramps you've got the bagatelle that's in the back glass with the the little plastic ball and you can use the lane switch the yeah the lane switch button on your right flipper button to move the light so that you can try to get the ball in an unlit pocket and you've got uh two drop target banks and four flippers and you've got all this stuff well that's another system 11 game whereas road kings system 11 game it's not near as complex you know it's got one relatively basic ramp it's got a a ramp right in the middle that actually is like a inverted scoop and then the ramp forms y and it's got a little diverter and it can go right or left and the diverter is not even controlled it's just a 
little piece of triangular shaped metal when the ball hits it, it flips it the other way so the next time around it goes the opposite direction it's uh it's got one drop target that blocks that little scoop it, it there's just not a lot going on it's a from a construction perspective a somewhat simple game and i think the idea was is okay let's have some lower cost games to sell more units get more stuff out there fun game i enjoyed it nonetheless to recap the story from earlier it belongs to our buddies over at rec bar like i said they helped me they had the opportunity this year to help me move games and for for lax and this game broke down at lax i said oh you know what guys look when you go by the house leave it here and i'll fix it for you and had all the signs of a, of a power problem sure enough it did all right, it did have a par, a power par, <laughs> par. Look what par, I slipped in. Problem. I am trying so hard. Just, just don't, don't I fight. Just, you know, just don't I gotta let it go. Just don't you know? fight it. Just listen, dude. Just accept the inner hillbilly, <laughs> and life is better once you do. Okay, <laughs> just, just roll with it. All right, just roll with it. Oh, okay. I, I have. I man, dude, I've got, I've got to the point where I'm proud of this stuff need, now. So you just, you embrace it and make it part of you, man. Just go. I need a twelve step. <laughs> Whitney, I, I'm Brent. Yeah, and I have a speech problem <laughs> i have a speech i have a speech problem so what do you do you get a podcast you just you get yeah. a podcast you yeah. Let, you, yeah and then you let the entire world know about it oh, is what you wow. do yes. okay all right I'm, I'm, i gotta pull it together all right so it, it did it had a power problem we got through that and it started having all kinds of other issues so everything i learned from the game and relearned from the game i figured it would be this would be a great chance to cover that and you know hopefully help somebody else out okay so first of all let's do the obvious when you when you approach a game and it's got problems and this is something typical in pinball look for the obvious look for damage components so you'll see in pinball a lot of burn connectors and that's from high yeah. current draw for like gi lighting some coils you could have had a coil that locked on and it could have uh, pulled a lot of current before it finally popped a fuse and damaged a connector look for that stuff it's pretty obvious your connectors are typically, you know, kind of whitish color, a lighter color plastic. It's going to really stand out if you've got a problem. Check that stuff out. Williams specifically, and we'll even go back past before System 11, the 3 through 7 series, the System 3 through 7, they kind of had this interesting way of joining the MPU board to the driver board. All right. Some systems, you know, later even like System 11, where it's it's integrated. Some systems will use heavier gauge wires. There's different ways to have the CPU trigger the drivers to fire your coils. Okay, well, the tie in the System 3 through 7 is this interesting interconnect where the boards literally overlap one another. One side. It, Think of a, a monitor plug for the video guys, the 156 header yeah. monitor connector. Exactly, yeah. Well, the male side that's on the monitor, extend that pin by maybe itself and a half or a little little more, lengthen it by that much. And then the female side where you'd normally have the, the wire coming from the, the game harness, imagine that soldered onto another board and you sandwich these things together. And it's like, I think it's like 40 pins. It's Ooh, it's man. not like two or three pins. It is a long connector. Okay. And you 
quite literally set one board on top of the other and push them together. <laughs> and those pins, the oh, pins pass geez. through, the male pins pass through the female side of the connector and the boards are, for lack of a better term, mated. Mated, yes. yes. This just doesn't sound like something that is durable enough to survive. You know, <laughs> and it's pull, not. Pull, pull apart, put together, pull apart, put together. It's not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hence the segment of the podcast brought to you by. Yep. Yeah. So if you if you've got a system three through seven and it's acting up, the first thing you do this the equivalent in a three system three through seven the equivalent of cap the monitor and check your power is replace those connectors. All right, so I'll reference everybody to uh, our buddy Ed over at Great Plains Electronics. There may be other places to get those connectors, some of the other vendors. I've always bought them from Ed. And if I'm going to work on a 3 through 7 game, that's the first thing I do. It's kind of like, like I said, capping the monitor. The monitor doesn't work. I'm going to cap it, and then I'm going to troubleshoot what else is wrong with it. I've got that that part of the play, you know, I've leveled the play field. I know that that part is good. The cap is good. The connector is good in this case. Just do it. They're not that expensive. And, you know, the, honestly, the pins are pretty good size, so it's not even a delicate work to, to, to remove and resolder them. Power supply side, speaking of caps. Yeah. You know, it. everybody beats this into your head on the video side, and honestly, it's just as true on pinball check check the power supply so with the system 11 this this road kings it did have a power problem it would shut down which is something that reared its head later but initially on power up it was very sporadic sometimes it would come up sometimes it wouldn't turns out that the system 11 and i'm not familiar enough with the other systems to know if if they have this as well i suspect that they do they basically test themselves and then to assure that the power rails are up before everything comes alive all right it's a power on reset circuit if things kind of are not copacetic from a power perspective then you can get in this reset mode Mm. that's what was happening i had a real weak five volt supply and sometimes i'd get lucky and it would work it was right on the edge and sometimes it wouldn't satisfy what was required in the power on reset circuit and it, the game was out to lunch you know the lights were literally on but nobody was home nobody was home yeah, yeah. the gi would come on cuz it's pretty dead stupid it's not run through the the cpu i had a power problem in this case i went ahead and capped it out which honestly i probably didn't have to do i did test the caps but you know you're in it they're 30 some odd years old you know there's a lot of heat that's in the in the in the head of the game let's just go ahead and do it so we've got that level playing field in my situation my five volt was still low and it was the regulator and again i'll reference you over to ed at great plains electronics i think some of the other vendors do this i want to say maybe big daddy enterprises does it as well but i know ed has a lot of pre-made kits similar to like uh, a monitor cap kit to go through and address a lot of pinball boards specifically i know he does a lot of williams stuff and he'll he'll probably have a kit or everything you need really close together to address the power supplies in your williams games all right and it, it, it great plains electronics is a great resource i've ordered from ed oh I think yeah it's, I've re- it's fantastic i've referred you to him whitney i, I know you've ordered some stuff i have yes 
he is a great resource. He's got great prices. I highly recommend him. So check him out. Once I had the power straightened out, I thought I was golden and, you know, started to play test the game and started to just, okay, let's just make sure, let's leave it set in a track mode. Let's just make sure this thing is solid. I ke- it kept having problems. It, the, the CPU would shut down. This particular game has uh, a seven segment LED on it, so it can report real basic, but it can report like trouble codes. Okay. And it would just keep, it would just wig out. You know, it would have odd segments lit. It would show eight or zero or it it, it just, it would be fat, dumb, and happy. <laughs> You're asking yourself, why, why, why am I even doing this? I know. Yeah. It would why be, am I even here? It would be fat, dumb, and happy. Then it was like, it would just like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. I'm going to go look at the birds and yeah. it would shut itself down. Yeah. It would just randomly do it in a track mode. I could be playing a game. Did you and want it, to just kick it? I mean, oh, I literally wanted to burn it to the ground. Yeah. It was so <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So this leads me to the next, the next bit. Now, this kind of borders on a little technical. And I would really tell every you know, cause all right, we've covered the basics. Check your connectors, check your power. Yeah. I would really suggest folks think about this. If if you've got Williams, you know, if you're if you think you're not very technical, this is going to sound technical, but it's not as bad as it sounds. This is there's some really great tools and methods out uh, that have been developed over years out on the internet that is just unbelievably helpful for this entire series of of Williams games systems 3 through 11 okay the core of, now this isn't going to get you deep into like troubleshooting if you happen to have some off the wall logic chip ls series chip that's 4000 series logic chip that's kind of gone you know off the reservation so to speak but it's going to get the lion's share of what's going on with these games in my experience and our 7,000, I said 4,000 logic, 7,000. So anyway, like I said, just bear with me. There's really no special tools here or nothing that's overly complicated. You do need an EEPROM programmer and really you can get one of those. If you just even want to experiment, you can get an EEPROM programmer off of eBay for like 25 bucks and then you can get a, an EEPROM eraser for 20 bucks you know, 40, 45 bucks, maybe 50 bucks with shipping, you can start to get deeper into troubleshooting some of your own equipment, video and pinball. So here, here's the deal. Several years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of, I, th- I believe he's French, Leon, how would you pronounce that, Whitney? Bo- B-O-R-R-E. Bore? Bore. Yeah. That, I mean, when I when I look at it, that's that's how it comes out of, of my, you know, hillbilly head. But yeah, <laughs> Bore. So Leon was a pinhead and he actually developed some test software for the for these Williams games. Now unfortunately Leon has passed away, but thank thankfully a lot of his if not all of his work has been archived. And you know, I'll refer everybody here to pinwiki.com. If you've not been over to pinwiki, overall they're a great resource for guides and you know common areas of fault on just about any series or system of solid state pin that you can imagine if you go out and google something like uh data east pinball troubleshooting 
chances are within the first couple links you're going to get the Pinwiki articles okay so Pinwiki is one of the places that has gone out and they have pulled all of Leon's stuff off the web his original homepage all of his files and they've archived it and within this archive was Leon's software to troubleshoot the uh the various Williams Williams games okay? okay okay so the first thing I started with you know even to back up to the EEPROM programmer the first thing I started with was all right let me make sure that all my software is right because from a from a IT person's perspective this thing was was randomly it appeared to be randomly failing and in my mind I'm like okay it, am I finding uh, is it doing something in a track and it's going into a bit of software, a bit of code and an EEPROM and that EEPROM's degraded and it's it's crashing? It wasn't happening regularly enough. So I was like, okay, is the EEPROM having an intermittent problem internally? Do I have an intermittent connection like in a socket with a little heat and it's starting to fail? Was the EEPROM itself failing internally with a little heat? Pulled the EEPROMs out found the EEPROM, found the images for the software for the game, used my EEPROM programmer and did a comparison. Yeah. You know, it's really easy to do. Yeah, yep. And, you know, kind of, all right, scratch that off the list. Level that playing field. I know I'm good to go. Then I start turning to I mean, Leon's wrong. It sounds basic, but it's something you have to do just to eliminate it as a yeah. possibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if somebody wants us down the road, it sounds simple enough just to say, oh, and I just did a comparison. That's something we can talk about down the road if that's something, you know, ask us. If that's something people are interested in knowing, we can talk on that topic. It, it's nothing that's super deep to cover. You, you know, it, it's a little different per it, programmer type but the concept is. is the same concept's the same yeah. but you know something at some point you know maybe once we get these uh you know these little hp boxes built up or something mm-hmm. we, we need to delve more into the whole you know topic of rom burning and and uh you know working with main roms to help repair pc games or i'm sorry uh, to help repair arcade games and things like that so i mean i think i think it'd be good i i mean i'd like to go through the exercise yeah. okay. of collecting the data just to be able to you know, just to be able to, uh, to I guess, kind of educate back on it. Because that's how you know that you really know it, per se. It, yeah. I can't think of how many games I fixed simply by pulling the EEPROMs out and, and going through and doing a comparison with the f- ROM file that I've, you know, gotten from the internet and finding, oh, this one EEPROM doesn't match. Yeah. And then writing a new EEPROM and plugging it in and, and boom, the game's fixed. Yeah, the game's fixed. I can't, yeah. I can't even remember the number of times I've done that. Yeah, yep. You know, like I said, somewhat technical, but it's very achievable. So, you know, it, we want to encourage folks to try to, try to, you know. Oh, I mean, you should always get, try yeah. this on your own. I Absolutely. Mean, what's the worst that happens? You, you, it doesn't work. Well, you try again, you know, it's, that's, that's how you learn. And, it, you know, in this, today you can get into these tools really inexpensively you know you do have i don't want to get too deep into it you do have some limitations with some of the modern us usb like 25 dollar eprom programmers but even with the kind of more oddball chips nine times out of ten you're still gonna be able to read them you might never be able to program them because of voltage requirements but at least you know oh this is bad and then you contact one of the services and have them program the chip for you for a couple bucks so yeah all right so all of Leon's stuff is out there, and he has test chips for System 11, and he's got a test chip for System 3, 4, and 6. 
On the System 11 side, he's got a test chip for CPU and sound. And on the 3, 4, and 6, he's I know he's got a CPU, and I, um, we're gonna, I, I've got links that we'll put in the show notes to the System 11 stuff, and I've got a link to the System 3, 4, and 6 CPU chip. And I didn't have a chance to dig up the one for the sound ROM. Uh, the PinWiki page has Leon's old homepage, and in, it's kind of, <laughs> you can tell it was an older web design. Yeah. You know, it's oh, yeah. very basic, very top-down. Yeah. I'm sure somewhere in there is the link to the sound test for the 3, 4, and 6 system. I know it exists because I'd, I'd actually programmed one back in the old uh, Firepower days. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe you said that. Firepower. Yeah. And I've still got it in, in my little kit where I keep all my test EPROMs. So I know what's out there. So what does it do? What Williams did is they had the central CPU and then they had satellite PIAs, peripheral interface adapters. And what would happen is, is the CPU would communicate to various pieces and, and parts of the pinball machine, the, the hardware, via these PIAs. So the CPU might say, okay, well, I need to make this sound. It's time to make this sound. So it would trigger the PIA that was responsible for sound and give it an instruction and then it was up to the PIA to carry on from there. So that's a real basic explanation. It's kind of like a um, PIA is a task worker. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the CPU is the manager and the PIA is the task worker. That's exactly the, right. The PIA talks to the, the hardware in the field or the or the, the folks in the field. So that's kind of how the system is laid out. And if, if those... <laughs> it's middle management. It's a, it's, <laughs> a PIA is middle management. It is middle management. Yes. <laughs> And when I say, I, I don't even know if folks even get the reference. When we say folks in the field from like a technical perspective, yeah. that's like the, the folks that are like hands-on, that are out visiting like Do customers. They're, they're actually doing the work. They're actually doing the work. Yes, exactly. The, 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 that's a t-shirt. Yeah. The, our show title, the PIA is Middle Management. Yeah. <laughs> hey, keep talking. Keep running your soup coolers. I'm going to write that down, Okay. All right, so what Leon's test ROMs do is they exercise the core components of the system, that being the communications communication out to the PIAs and the memory, okay? So how does it exercise the PIAs? The PIAs have a set of pins on them that the test ROM will pulse. So those pins are used to control and trigger other things when the game itself is actually running. When this test ROM is put in place, it just basically makes them pulse up, down, up, down, up, down. If you look through Leon's page that describes how to install the test ROM, you know, literally put it in the socket and this is what it will do. There is a short little write-up on how you take an LED, a resistor, and a little piece of wire, and you make yourself a very rudimentary, I guess almost like logic probe. And you could use that little LED, and you can hold it on the on the leg of the various PS through the system, and you can watch the LED blink, and you can you know that it's working. If you find a leg it's not blinking, or the it's the LED is solid, you know that PIA is failed, and you replace it. You can also turn around and use a logic probe to do that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. the other thing that this test ROM will do is test the memory. So in the System 11 game, the Road Kings, for example, I have memory to deal with that the main CPU uses, and then the sound section actually has a PIA 
the ta- the middle management. <laughs> yeah. And I guess in this situation, maybe it's a whole, the sound system is like a wholly owned subsidiary with its own level of management. Yeah, it's filing CPS reports. Yes, you know? it is. Yes. 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 Because it actually. No, I'm sorry. TPS. TPS. TPS, TPS reports. reports. Yes, thank you. CPS are those Capcom video games. That, that would be it. Yes. On the System 11 side, it honestly, folks, um, I don't have enough in-depth experience to just be able to say, oh, yeah, four does this and three doesn't and six handles it a different way. On the System 11 side, there's a sound CPU. I think the other games do, honestly. I just don't recall. And then there's a PIA that sets between the sound CPU and the main CPU. And that PIA is what helps ties the two together so they can talk, okay? Well, there's also memory on the sound side, too. So the sound test ROM will test the memory. The, the write-up uh, that Leon wrote back in the day tells you, okay, when you've got the test ROM in, watch this pin on this PIA, and it should pulse. Push the test button on the side of the board, and the pulsing will stop, and if it doesn't restart, I found a memory fault. Okay. I found a bad piece of memory. Hey, that's great, because now it's not, I'm just not guessing. I'm just not some, replacing you got, you, parts. You have somewhere to look. Yeah. Yeah. Now, granted, again, there could be something wrong with the the TTL logic that glues all this together. All right. In my experience, the games I've worked on, nine times out of ten, it's going to be in the CPU. It's going to be in the in a PIA, or it's going to be in 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 that RAM in that memory. And there's also a, a large percentage of time that it's just a failed EEPROM. The program's bad, okay? And that's what was wrong here. I had bad RAM. I found RAM problems on both uh, the CPU and the sound side. And, and I was having glitchy things. It got to the point where I could actually play the game. And the background sound, the background music, which is handled in a different board on this this version, there's actually several versions of System 11, the there was a there this game has a background soundboard that gives you that background music that would work but everything produced by the by the main soundboard it it was gone it was yeah. ju- it was literally yeah. like it was blank in the game the game did everything around it but it wasn't there mm, i see and that would come and go and it sporadically degraded uh, it would come and go sporadically but it did degrade over time as i was working troubleshooting the game I had problems with the whole game just shutting down, as I mentioned earlier. Using these test ROMs, I quickly figured out that I had RAM issues. When it was all said and done... See, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, oh, at least you got something semi-modern to help you troubleshoot right. something that's not. And like, if you're out there and you've got any of these games, my high-speed set in there, it falls right in this category. Yeah. If you've got any of these Williams games, before I'd spend the money... To have someone program this, what, like four ROMs, sound and CPU ROM for both your System 11 and your System 3 through 6. And actually, there's a Williams System 9, and I'm fairly certain Leon had test ROMs for the System 9 stuff too. Before I'd spend the the money to have someone program those for you, I'd go to eBay and buy your first inexpensive USB programmer. There's nothing exotic about the chips that are used in these games that, that... a a simple usb programmer wouldn't program i'd spend that money on buying yourself a programmer i'd program learn to program the chips i'd make my own and then you've got the programmer to do 
comparison of the game ROMs down the road. All right. And you're starting to depend on yourself as opposed to, okay, well, the game is down. I'm going to have to find a tech that can fix it. Do I go out and I buy a whole board replacement? You might have a, you might have a dollar EEPROM that's wrong, failed. You might have, yeah. you know, a $3 PIA and while you're at it, a 19 cent socket that you can figure out and you can fix and sort out within a couple days when you get a little spare time as opposed to dropping 100 bucks or 150 bucks, whatever replacement board might cost or having to pay a tech to come in and fix it. I, th- I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, you know, and I don't know that that even that statement may be lost on some of our. Is that more of a U.S. statement, Whitney? Yeah, I mean, it's a U. It, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a U.S. euphemism, no doubt. So. I, the, the the meaning is is I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again, just in different ways. Yeah, just yeah. in different ways. Yeah. The bottom line here is I'd like to encourage everybody to consider it's not that difficult to get in and do some troubleshooting on your own games. Okay, you can do this with an inexpensive EEPROM programmer and an LED and a resistor and a little bit of wire. The only other thing you need is is that it's easier to do it on your bench. You can do it in the game. You just leave the power supply plugged in, but you can do it on the bench and you can wire it. It just needs 5 volts and I think 12 volts to start up. Leon's page actually says, oh, it's this connector. Get an arcade power supply, which most of us probably have as a spare anyway. And here's the pin. Here's the pin. Turn it on. The, game, the board will boot on your bench. Now, like I said, you can do it in the head. You can yeah. leave it in the head, but it's yeah. vertical and it's kind of a pain, and you're it's leaning just, over. Yeah, it's just how, it's 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 just a bad it's it's a bad work area, right? I guess, yeah. So you you can get leaps and bounds ahead in your own repairs with, like I said, under fifty dollars worth of worth of uh, hardware. Okay, EEPROM programmer. Now I mentioned the logic probe. So say you want to actually jump in and get a logic probe. All right. And usually what you're going to use a logic probe for is you're going to start walking back and looking at data lines. You're going to start walking through and looking at that logic that I mentioned that glues all these pieces together, that glues the P, that attaches the PIA, that provides the path for the CPU to talk to the PIA, those bits and pieces of TTL in between. You can also, if you want, use that logic probe to watch these pins pulse. I've got a couple logic probes. I've actually got a BK Precision DP51. It has it's a no audio probe. It has a, a a high light and a low light, so I can see when the pins go high and low. Okay. I've got a, a Radio Shack 22-303A, and that's kind of a, I guess a pseudo hobbyist favorite. And of course, you're only finding those now on eBay in the secondary market, maybe new old stock. And it's got the light. It'll show up and down, and it's got a pulse light. Like the the BK Precision has that too. So if the pins pulsing real fast, that light will flicker. You, you can watch. Yeah, you, you can, can watch you it. Can watch it. Yeah. The Radio Shack has got audio on it too, so you can hear a, a high tone, a low tone, yeah. or there's kind of this kind of warbly tone if it's if it's pulsing really quickly. And then I just recently bought an Elenco, E L E N C O, Elenco LP-560. Yeah. And it's it's very similar to the Rayo Shack in that it's got a high low LED, it's got audio, but it's really cool. It's it's kind of pin shaped whereas the BK and the Radio Shack are kind of 
weirdly rectangular yeah kind of long boxy shape yeah yeah, yeah. exactly it, it and it's almost those are all and i know exactly the ones you're talking about they're almost hard to hold yeah they're you, just odd shapes they're just, yeah they're just awkward yeah. whereas this alenco is um it's more pin shaped and it's got the high low led it's got the pulse led nice cable nice clamps it was 17 dollars. yeah i would I, I would think of the alenco as like a, a it's almost like a pointed cigar yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That's that's maybe you know from a shape and a you know I guess a diameter perspective and everything like that. So yeah, you know, so like you know again, I would encourage folks to try to consider not try to try to consider. Don't <laughs> consider. Just work your way to trying to consider. <laughs> yeah, consider trying to work on your own <laughs> games. The episode of euphemisms and double negatives. Man. There's a, there's a show title. Yeah. Stick that in there. We'll have yeah. to try to consider. Yeah, uh, you know if you're considering working on your own games try it you got to understand your own limits you don't want to make your problem worse but with a with some really inexpensive tools you can get a long way to having some rather expert knowledge on your own games and honestly at the end of the day if you think about it the more experience and the more knowledge you have of your own games, if you have to go to an outside party, you're that much further ahead. Let's be honest, there's some nefarious people out there. If you're already armed with some knowledge, if you've already done some tests, if you've learned some stuff, if you're not, say, for example, you're not comfortable soldering uh, or desoldering a chip and soldering a chip back in, but you've already kind of narrowed it down and you know, okay, I am not passing the, I'm passing the PIA test, but I'm not passing the RAM test. I'm going to go find somebody and see if I can get this chip changed. You're already ahead of the game. You're an educated buyer, if you will. You're, you're, you're in the catbird seat. That's, an, that's another, I guess, maybe U.S. only phrase, which means you're a step ahead. You, yes. You've got the upper hand. Yeah. You already know what's going on. You're, you're calling the shots. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Penwicky, we've got the links in the show notes. Check out... Uh, Leon's test ROMs. If you've got these games, it's something that I really suggest that you have in your toolbox. It's a good opportunity to maybe get yourself into an EEPROM programmer. It's a good opportunity if you're wanting to consider uh, trying to work your way through the logic of some of these games. Uh, Maybe going ahead and jumping in and getting a logic probe. Again, you don't even have to do that. You can build something very simple for these tests with an LED. You, you know what I like about this discussion, though, is that, and Brent, I, I've said it several times on the show. I'll, I'll say it again, and I, I'm being as transparent about it as I can be. You know, I'm, I've, I came into pinball late enough that I don't really have a lot of nostalgia for these you know, System 3, System 7, System 11 games. I mean, I like to play them. Don't get me wrong. They're, I find a lot of them very entertaining, but they're but they're they're not the flash and pomp and circumstance that I that I, I tend to crave on the newer Sterns. But if I were to pick any of these games up, what you just covered is the perfect toolbox for owning these games and troubleshooting these games. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely refer back to this because this is I mean, this is kind of like a little goldmine of info for you know for working on those for working on those games compared to the modern Sterns. There's just not as much going on, yeah, and, for and, lack of a better term, and, 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 and it's, it's true. And, well, and they were hamstrung by the hardware. They were, you know, and, and so you you have to give them credit where credit is due. They and did I, a lot with what they could yes. without making it 
an $82,000 machine and, back and in the day. That's very true. And, and you know, I, I probably come at it from a privileged position because you get into pinball a little bit later and you you hold the earlier games in comparison to the mm-hmm. later games and you automatically, you know, you automatically, um, I guess, kind of categorize them or, you know, or cast them off to the side because you say, oh, well, it's, it's not a Metallica or something like that. I, I mean, very true. I get that. But... You know this. This is a nice toolbox for for owning some for owning some of those older games for sure. So I, I mentioned the Alenco. If you're interested in that, and this this is another fine kind of like online components. Yeah, I ordered it on eBay. It was sixteen ninety seven, free shipping, and it, the seller was Techedo. Techedo. I mean, you could slice and dice yeah, that any way you want. you want to say that. Yeah, they don't, he, he, he or she didn't hyphen, uh, put a hyphen in it or break it up in any way, but it's T-E-C-H-E-D-O. And in our show notes, there'll be a link to the auction where I bought this particular one. They had several offered. So, you know, hopefully there'll still be some there by the time the show gets out. When I got the package, it came from... Omnitron Electronics. O M N I T R O N Electronics dot net. So just looking at their site, I, Memory Serves are based in Florida, here in the states. They had quite a selection of tools, components. All, I had never heard of them before. Yeah, neither have I. Neither have I. But again, you know, this is this is a find, man. Links will be in the show notes to the eBay auction and, of course, to the homepage of uh, of the shop. And again, I can't say it enough. I would encourage anybody to learn more and to expand their horizons and, you know, jump in and buy a couple basic tools and you can you can always upgrade. You know, it's like I was talking earlier about kind of getting hooked on the EEV blog videos. Well, what started that kind of was wanting to do some multimeter research because I kind of want to upgrade what I've got. You know, what what I've got works well for what I do, but I'm wanting something that's a little bit more rugged because yeah. I tend to be doing a lot more rutting around lately. Yeah, yeah, no, understandable. And that, that's what's kind of led me down that road. You know, I'm we're all constantly upgrading. Upgrading. And you know, what I have found is that everything that I've bought in the past versus what I'm currently upgrading today I, you know, I don't really, I don't really ever see the need to get rid of a lot of what I've purchased. You'll find a, you'll mm-hmm. find a way or a reason or a need for the older tools. It's just, what do you want as your first reach? You yeah. Know, that, that's, that's what it tends to be for me. It's like, oh, I, I can see the value of that as my primary go-to meter. Yes, I need to spend the $16 and do that or the $20 and do that, you know. But yeah, you'll still relegate the older ones to other uses, no doubt. Which and I are fortunate to have desktop desoldering tools. Yes. We have been able to upgrade our workbench to that over time. Oh, yeah. I've still got my Hacko 808 handheld desoldering tool. Yeah. That's my backup. Oh, yeah. It's it's in my portable kit that I take everywhere. And, and you know, I've lent that kit a couple of times. And uh, people have used it to fix, like, car stereos and things like that. And they say, Whitney, that is the, that is the handiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you think that's handy, you ought to see what's sitting on my desk. Right. But, but yes, you're right. It is handy. Uh, in, in short, I don't think that you would be throwing money away if you upgraded a tool. Not so, at all. Yeah, like I said, I would encourage anybody just to if if you have it in your mind that you that you think you'd like to dip in a little deeper. Yeah, there's a lot of places you can, you know, a lot of avenues to explore, a lot of things you can do, a lot of places you can go. 
and get you a little further ahead in the hobby. Yeah, and one so. thing one thing I'll say about upgrading tools, you may think of it as okay, I'm spending a lot of money, and you don't necessarily have to do that. But the way that I, <laughs> the way that I absolve it to myself is it, it doing the upgrades just increases my options. And it and you know, Brent, nobody wants to be painted in a corner when you're when you're trying to teach yourself how to do something or repair something for yourself that gets either discouraging, distracting, or you you set it down and go do something else. If you've got options, then you'll make it happen. My PC is freaking out because every time I move the mouse, I don't know if I have to be brushing the button just as I cross over the link, but it's trying to get me to buy another Logic Pro. Oh, it keeps well. opening eBay. And that would be me doing that, Brent. So you know something? We my, do say we spend your money, my, Brent, and I'm spending it remotely is what this, I'm doing. How's this for how's this for a transition? Yeah. My PC is making me spend my yes, money. Yeah. So insert cash register sound here. Oh. Thank you. All right. Now, Brent, so for this month, I'll say this, man. You get off easy this month, okay? Because uh, either whether you can chalk it up to thank, either me being because, on the road. Thankfully, because okay? I'm saving up for a Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can credit it to me being busy or being on the road. But, uh, you know, we do have some opportunities to spend some cash, but it, it's not in epic proportions like it is most months. But here's what I will say. I will vote this is quality over quantity this month, all right? Now, now, let's bring it back around full circle to the very uh, to the very top of the show. When we were talking about you know me getting a red tent. Now, Brent, um, the, the, this first item of which there are only two this month. So, but this first item, Brent, is something that I have not seen for sale for I am, years. I am not lying to you, Whitney. It just I just opened eBay again. I have three tabs to buy. <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm doing my job. All right. So, so Brent, I've not seen these available for sale for years, and these are the <clears throat> Asahi Seiko. These <laughs> yeah, are the, I'm not even going to try. Yeah, exactly. Um, the ADD FT5, ADD FT5, and these are the red reject buttons that go into Coinmax. Okay, now most of what you see are amber. All right, the amber coin rejects uh, reject button. Is this Nintendo specific? These are Nintendo specific. Oh, yes. okay. So these okay. are for the Nintendos like. Um like super, like not Super Mario's, like Mario Brothers, like a wide body that had more of a kind of a conventional more of, type more of coin a, door, of a conventional coin door. Uh, they, they have the the conventional, have the more conventional mechs, but um, you'll see them in. in uh, these are from Mike's Arcade, and I'm taking this straight from his site. Uh, you mentioned Mario Brothers, it's Punch Out, the Unisystems. And also the red tents, okay? okay. The red tents use these uh, play choice and uh, play choice ten and an R type as well. So yeah, punch out, super punch out. Have you ordered these. these yet? No, I have not. Well, but, but I am going to order some. If you want some, let me know, and we'll just do one order. That's what okay? I was thinking. Once you go ahead and order myself a set with my own money when you order yours, <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will do that. Yes, I'll do that, man. Spending your money so easy, dude. And um, and so these are seven dollars and twenty five cents. They they are they are new new I guess kind of quote unquote reproductions but man they're so nice and they're so pretty and 
the reason I like this kind of stuff, Brent, is it's the it's the it's the small details that you know when you're looking over a machine that, that just make a difference because you know a lot of times you see these and they're 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 scratched all to they're scratched to kingdom come or they're hazy and they're cloudy or they're chipped. Okay, they've got like a corner out of them or something like that, and generally they're just ugly. All right, so yeah, okay, so yes, you're looking at fifteen bucks, you know, for a game, but again, it's it's those little things that really set off. Off, you know that really kind of set off a, See, a I, refurb i didn't realize that these were different the only nintendo i have with this particular type of reject button is my red tent okay and the red tent you know if no one's picked up on it it's it's out in my garage and I, i've honestly i've not really studied it in a while i just know it's there and it kind of exists i'm sure that mine are all kind of beat up you know yes and yes. i i just I didn't realize that they were any different than the typical like coin controls or coin co or whatever that you tend to see on other games. Just looking at them just casually, like on a punch out or one of the other games that you mentioned, my assumption was obviously incorrectly. I was incorrectly assuming my assumption was that that Nintendo just switched over to, you know, a U.S. type coin door you know a coin core or whatever so well you know here's the thing it does have a sega part number listed on on mike's on mike's site so i mean i I guess there's a possibility well when i said unique brent i was meaning unique to to the nintendo games only a certain only a certain amount of nintendo games use this but now that i'm looking at this a little further i mean it does have a sega part number so that tells me that you know maybe there was more applicability or the coin the coin door in the coin mech was used in sega games as well as some nintendo games sega always did kind of unique things you know well i mean both are japanese manufacturers yeah you know sega and nintendo yeah versus atari versus that's funny haha nintendo versus versus your atari or your century (laughs) or on the pinside williams or stern or anybody so i mean it would make sense that sega probably used them yeah and and i can i can certainly see that but i I will know in just in just the years of kind of trolling the parts section of clov when you see these come up they're very expensive if you see them come up at all and people there seems to have been a pinup demand for for these as well so i mean like i say i'm definitely going to order order a few of these because um my uh, my punch out definitely needs them it looks it looks like crap the red tint is good but my r type which uh, still has a lean to it i'm very sorry to say um is uh, is definitely missing one of these i remember that but uh yeah it, i mean man you know it's 15 bucks and, and you're you're back in the race so we will have a link to that in the show notes. Now, Brent, oh, well, that's Brent approved. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So uh, this next one, Brent, is a continuation from what we talked about in last month's show, which was the reproduction uh, Atari kind of quote-unquote multi-slapstick chip. I so feel like I've been slapstick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, this that's, is a... That's probably what's wrong with me. It very well could be. Well, then Brent, you need what we're talking about next, which is your slapstick <laughs> tester is what need you need. Someone test me. Yes, yes. Someone <laughs> test you, and we know it's positive. So anyway, um, so, so this is from... Uh, 
uh, forum member uh, Colin D on Clav, and I'll, I'll you know, we'll have a link in the show notes to the thread. But this is really cool. So Colin has put together Colin. Colin Colin uh, has put together, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, but he has a very low post count on Clob, Brent. So I've not, you know, I I don't know if he's new to the scene or just new to Clob altogether or what. Yeah, so if we've got that wrong, we we definitely apologize. Yeah, we definitely apologize. I know Brian, the artist, Brian Colin is a good example because we started out pronouncing it. Brian Brian Colin Colin yeah and that was not right that was incorrect <laughs> that absolutely. was incorrect so, yeah so you look at it and it, if we're it, if, it could go either if way if Whitney's wrong please forgive us because I'm an idiot <laughs> it's it's all it's all good so <laughs> ah not you yeah. ah oh fair enough so this is the this is the Atari this what what we'll say Colin has produced is uh, a board he's fabbed a board called the Atari slapstick texture tester fixture and and Brent this is not because it has a ZIF socket on it where you can test multiple Atari slabstick chips. Now he's 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 you know charging right at the one hundred dollar price point for this, but when you go back and look at it, I see the reason why because he has developed this board on his own as well as the firmware, the software firmware for running the slabsticks through a test, a, you know, like a test regimen. So he has got a lot of sweat equity in doing mm-hmm. in, in producing this board. The nice thing about it is it identifies and will test all known slapsticks out there to date. So, yeah, the pr- the price is probably a little uh, a little high when you look at what does your normal te- you know what does your normal I guess kind of um, toolbox you know toolbox uh, you know um, tester te- test, tool tester or tool or special use tool run, but when you look at what this does and the value that it brings to to what it is testing. I think Colin's actually being very fair for what he's charging for this. Now, is this something that everybody I think you know needs in their toolbox? No, but but if you're if you're of the of the mindset that you're going to say, yeah, I want to be as self sufficient as possible. I have several System One, System Two games that use that use boards that have the slapsticks on them then this may be right up your alley okay so like i say we'll have a picture in the in the show notes and in a link to the uh to the clob thread as well so the, and the, the the slapsticks have always been one of those i don't have any games that use them okay but they've always been kind of uh, this enigma to me yes and, de- and, yes definitely and not just them themselves but there's a, a lot of games that use kind of a similar technology so basically at the end of the day i think i've got this right the slapstick is a prom programmable read-only memory and when it's programmed there's the equivalent of fuses in the chip that are either that are either blown or not, not blown to create the logic circuit exactly that's right yeah and the word the way manufacturers use these and atari use these as far back as I can think, I mean, even even like my asteroids here, I don't know if they went back into the black and white raster games, but they would use this kind of a technique as uh, as a way to kind of 
I guess, tamped down bootlegging. Yeah, and you know and what? Copy. You're exactly right. And we, I think we mentioned this on the last show as well. Nintendo used these on what were called their their P ROMs. Okay. There, there were certain ROMs on, let's say, like a two stack or a four stack Nintendo PCB that featured these P ROMs where where you have to use a a very a higher voltage programmer that is able to supply enough voltage to the prom itself right to blow to blow the internal the internal gates of the rom mm-hmm. to create the program the nice thing about this though from what i understand the limited amount of research i've done on this those PROMs are actually very fast, though. So, oh, yeah, they so are. like they Nintendo are. would use those when would use them when they needed, let's say, it, when they like had a, an, an assembly routine that needed an extremely like fast execution. Yeah, you can use or they, yep. Yeah, or they needed to refer to a block of code and in, in they could retrieve it from the PROM so much faster than yep. they could either write it to RAM or read it out of just normal ROM. So I understand that the costs on these were were appropriately high as well, but they would use them in certain scenarios to either ensure performance ensure reliability or ensure security yes yes and i've always kind of had this fear of when i run up against a game that has these of, yeah I, you don't know how they act because the part yeah. number it, it's uh, it's it's like an eprom in that the part number is generic and you can make what's in it whatever you want it to be yes and in the yes, case yes. of this it's not necessarily I believe predictable. You can't go look up a data sheet and say, "Okay, I know this is pin supposed to do this when this <laughs> yeah, pin does that." Exactly because, right? See, Nintendo could have taken a standard, you know, a, sta- a standard PROM and based upon how they program it, they they essentially sh- internally short that one chip differently for them than Atari would internally short it for, for them. So the same chip is actually two different. You know, it has two different programs, two different uses based upon manufacturer. So, you know, I actually probably, this this makes me think, I need to go look these up. They may, because you're right, I have heard as well that these can be used as like, from uh, from a memory perspective, when you need something that just has to perform. Yes. So, a lot of these EPROM, or yeah, EPROMs, it, I, I have never looked at the data sheet, and this is, I'm going to make a note for myself, and hopefully, you know, like we were talking about with the William stuff, this is something where, um, you know, Every day you will learn something. This yeah, is something maybe this, new to this learn. Is something new to learn. This, That's this right. may be a deal where okay, I've got a couple of address pins and a couple of data pins, and it it is kind of apparent what it's supposed to do, but you still don't know what goes on inside that magic little piece of uh, of plastic. Yes. But so having this, a tester, <laughs> this, yes, it, it, the yeah. tester, you, you may not be able to see inside, but at least you can you can walk around outside and know where where you're good and where you're bad. Yeah. Yes. Short short of having a replacement a known good replacement that you could swap in to test which is i I mean i know some operators here in town back in the day from just talking to them they actually did that they they would have spares of those so that they could go ahead and and again i've said this several times in the show level the playing field for a particular game yeah and go ahead and and you know mark those as okay i know that this is good that's good that's good and i can look elsewhere so this is a real cool tool if you're heavy into the atari stuff yeah it it really is it really is and and you know from from that standpoint maybe a group of you know maybe a group of guys let's say you know like uh you know a regional group of guys maybe they want to you know three or four people want to pitch in 25 bucks a piece and you have a community tester that just sits at somebody's house until somebody needs it Mm -hmm. having access to one is tantamount to you know is tantamount 
tantamount to owning one. So, that, I mean, it's it just seems to me like a good thing to have access to by your network. Okay, so I, you know, like I said, I wanted to bring it up and make it, uh, you know, make, make it uh, make it known to everybody that the the colon is is producing these, and I, I do I, I see a lot of value. So in th- this. this looks like it actually is a shield on top of an Arduino. That's exactly what so it is. So does the price include the Arduino? Uh, good. Oh, wait, well, it let says, uh, and an Arduino Uno board. Yeah, it looks like an Uno pre-programmed to let test. Okay. I have a limited number of spare PCs available, which come with with a Ziff yeah, socket we'll and an Arduino. The, the okay. S- an Arduino Uno board pre-programmed to test the ICs if anyone would like to buy one when they're finished. And I'm fully confident they work with all the all the variants. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, you're so, yeah, you're actually getting, well, heck, dude, the, the Arduino Uno it's I was probably, just looking one up. It's what twenty, thirty-five bucks out of the hundred, probably somewhere around in there. Yeah, I think it's about twenty. Okay, there we go. Twenty right. twenty-five. Okay, there we go. So I mean, so yeah, so actually, you're paying him seventy-five for the sweat equity that he's done. Yeah, the, I, that's. I mean, th- this this is a good deal. On Spark Fund, the Uno is twenty-four ninety-five plus shipping. There you yeah, go. So so, so dude, th- this this is a good deal. This is a good deal. So, yeah. So with that, Brent, we've, uh, you know, like I said, you got off, you got off easy this month. We didn't get to spend a whole lot of your money, but I've got this sinking feeling that, you know, I'm trying to spend everybody else's money. Fair enough. Maybe the time for the tables to uh, turn, but I don't know, man, whenever it becomes new in box pinball day, you know, everything just evens (laughs) out anyway, you know? <laughs> Speaking of pinball, we're yes. back at this we've got a, a fair amount of pinball content this week. We do. And or this month. Yeah, this month. What is <laughs> exactly? Again, again, this is all of our listeners get are I've now determined they get to listen to the slow well, failure of me over what will be several episodes. It's you know something man, it's it's the good and the bad. It's, it's the transparency of it. We we don't we don't really hide anything. I know. So so this next segment segment, Brent, is some audio, okay, from one of the sessions at the 2016 Southern Fried Game Room Expo. And this session is entitled Painting the Dots, Pinball's Color DMD Revolution. Now, Brent, um, I was able to sit this session because I, I did do a video recording of this, and uh, what follows is the audio portion of that recording, and if everything goes to plan, okay, everything goes to plan uh, by the time this episode is up we'll also have the video up on our youtube channel as well okay so i just finished uh cutting the the intro to that video last night and uh Brent, I, I told you it took like <laughs> what like 60 some odd takes for me to get it right but mm-hmm. uh yeah so when you watch the youtube video uh just realize that i sat on that chair like 60 some odd times before it was actually good <laughs> it was crazy man I, I let's let's say this dude youtube video is hard it, it actually is if you podcasting want to it, is hard it's hard yeah if you want if you want to sound reasonably intelligent it's actually hard so anyway uh, um, you know, we say podcasting is hard but we've also encouraged folks to go out and if they want to start a show start a show and, it, yes you know uh, we talked was it last show last episode yes, about yeah. Uh, some, sharing our hardware yeah. layout and kind yeah, of how we, we had show some, we had some and, feedback asking about that yeah you know it I say, we say it's hard, but it's really fun. And, and oh, I, it's it's great fun, but it is hard. <laughs> I am I, I'm uh, oh I'm making a lot of fun of myself for the you know tripping over my my words for this episode. Man, dude, you got to have thick skin. That's yeah. What it oh, yeah. To. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of those things where this this is a completely unrelated aside. You know, Whitney and I have had a. Uh, 
an interesting work week and just life and all that. And, you know, that kind of wears on you. And when you, when you work a day and you come in and you're like, all right, now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do the show. Yeah. We're actually enjoying this. Oh, we're yeah. having a ball. Yeah. Because now it, it's, it's tough. It's a little tough to get started, to prime yeah. the pump, to get started. But then once you get rolling, it's just, I mean, it just kind of goes, yeah. you know, it, you, you can be a little worn and tired from just life coming into it. Yeah, but and sometimes it bleeds through. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, we, we try to make sure it doesn't it's sound still, like it. No, it's still, it's a ball. Yeah, you know, it so is. when we say it that, <laughs> it it is, but it's not. If you yeah. want to do it, you, yeah. it's rewarding. Yes, trust it, us. it is. It, it, it's, it's challenging, but it's rewarding. rewarding. It, it yeah. is definitely that. Um, so, so yeah, despite my, okay, for, okay, okay, yeah. despite in, my foray and my, my derail. Yeah. So, so despite my foray into the challenges of, of becoming a budding YouTube, YouTube star, <laughs> which I doubt I'll ever be, but I anyway, want to see you up there with the same number of likes as the EEV blog. Yeah, sh- and dude, get your tapper. Yeah. And, and just then start wa- walking around and yeah, exactly. just tap random things and see what they sound like. <laughs> yeah. The subscriber numbers will go through the roof. <laughs> so, so, so Brent, this and everybody listening, you, everybody is in for a treat because if you've if you've you know been into the pinball hobby for any length of time, you've heard of Color DMD, maybe even have a few displays in, in your machines, and you've always wondered how do they create the Color DMD ROMs for this display, mm-hmm. and how do they choose which which games to color next? How do they even go through the process of colorizing a game? And and I'll say this: I had no idea it was so tedious and so manual. It was th- this this segment or this this session audio is so enlightening around how Color DMD and the people who volunteer their times. I'm not saying work for Color DMD. How people who volunteer their time color these games this this is fantastic so who you're getting ready to hear from is uh three people uh the session is hosted by mr daniel debashir and we have sitting on the panel uh you know kind of you know answering the questions in a very open and freeform kind of q a format is mark jarswiak and micah critchfield both mark and micah uh color for color dmd and between the two of them and Brent, we don't have the opportunity i don't have the opportunity to to say this you know to say this before we roll into the audio so uh, i'm sorry this isn't covered in the audio itself so i want to make sure i say it before we roll into it you know between mark and micah you know either either separately or collectively they have a very impressive resume of games that they have colored or worked on uh, i'm talking tron okay ACDC, Metallica, Doctor Who, The Simpsons Pinball Party, and as we're going to see, Brent, or I'm sorry, going to see, this is a podcast <laughs> for, for crying out loud. Um, as we're going to hear, Brent, this in this session was also the world premiere of Color Dots being shown on a family guy. Okay, and so yeah, a cat was let out of the bag. The, the cat was definitely let out of the bag. So anyway, all things being said, and without further ado, we really hope that you that, that everyone enjoys listening to this this great segment on Color DMD from Daniel, Mark, and Micah. Here to talk about uh, coloring DMD animations on pinball machines. Here we have on our panel Micah Crushfield and uh, Mark. 
Yarzhiviak. Okay, Critchfield. I would have totally butchered that. Sorry, Mark. Just okay. Mark him. Still Critchfield. What's that? Still Critchfield. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we're here to talk about uh, colorizing uh, pinball. So, uh, and these two have experience doing it. Mark's done three or four games. What games have you done, Mark? Um, I started out with Doctor Who a couple years ago, um, which, when this goes back, will be sitting right next to it, um, back near the back of the room. So, when you see that, you'll see that. Um, and then the second one I did was the Simpsons Pinball Party. Um, and then after the Simpsons Pinball Party, I helped out with a a uh, couple other games, actually during the Simpsons Pinball Party, I helped out with sprite modes on Metallica and ACDC. And then um, I just finished Tron, um, Tron which was a, a very long time coming because Randy was in the middle of making um, engine changes for Tron, for Iron Man, for Spider-Man. He was making a whole bunch of, he basically had to rewrite the entire color DMD engine so that the original hardware that came out in 2012 could handle um, the extended memory, could handle all of the information that needed to be in there because as some of you may know, Tron has video clips in it, Spider-Man, some of those Stern games from around 2010 forward, someone got the bright idea to put video clips in there and cut them down to 128 by 32 or less because they're not full, full width. So in a lot of cases, they're only like 80 by 32 pixelated images. Um, so that was a kind of a big time taker um, and then I've been working on this game I started on this game a little bit before I finished Tron um, and this game will be uh, coming out sometime in the in the future um, but I will be demonstrating some things on the game for you today and then Micah I'm not allowed to say what I'm working on but I just need to say that, that one guy on pin side who keeps asking for it you're gonna be happy that one guy is keeping me there's, going. There's always one. There's always <laughs> one guy. And it's not Gilligan's Island. It is not Gilligan's Island. It is a hard body. Yeah. I think so. Hold it out of me. I think it, no, no, it's Raven, right? Oh, yeah, Raven. That's Raven. right. And you guys mentioned Randy. Let's talk a little bit about Randy. What, you know, your relationship with him. How do you got engaged with him? How you got part of the project and all that? Um, uh, it's just straightforward. Um, we had a Doctor Who machine, and I had not much in knowledge of Color DMD, but I had seen that there had been games. And one day, I just kind of went to the Color DMD website and looked up the community page um, on development. And he had a thing there, and, and it just openly said, hey, you know, if you are interested in coloring for Color DMD, contact us. And at the time, one other person had colorized a game or had done most of, had done what we would call reference frame coloring for Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, so there was really only one person had done it, and even that person had not done the entire game and everything else. Um, so I just emailed him because, frankly, all I wanted was a color DMD for D Doctor Who. I'm like, hey, if I color this game, I'll get a free color DMD out of it. Um, and so, and, and partly because the DMD was also going out, and I'm like, hey, this is perfect. And I contacted him, and he's like, do you have one? I'm like, no. And he said, okay, I'll send you one. So he sent me a development unit and an independent contract, uh, NDA, because you know he has a lot of proprietary software that he's written um, for Color DMD. Um, and so that's pretty much it. I just emailed him, and I'm like, hey, I want to do this. The funny thing is, is he sent me the development unit, I got it started, went through the first caps, and then started looking at the process, like, from the very beginning. And after about a first week or so, I was like, man, this is, this is going to be a lot of work. I can tell. I'm like, this is way more than I thought I was getting my head into. Just looking through and doing a couple steps. Um, and he sent me an email within, like, two weeks. He's like, 
so if you want to back out, it's okay. Don't feel bad, you know. Just send me back my, DM, my, my display, and, and we're good. And I'm like, no, I'll stick with it. And it took about eight months, and I put probably almost 200 hours into that game. But at that time, the tools were um, he, the Dots program. When he first did Medieval Madness, which was the first game he colorized, he did that completely by numbers. I mean, he did that all spreadsheet numbers, written down on notepads, whatever. It was all done that way. I have he, no idea how you guys did any of that. I had one point where I was really complaining at like 11 o'clock at night to you on Facebook about how hard something was. He was like, I need you to go back. <laughs> and I need you to pull up dots 1.2. <laughs> and I need you to try again. And about 30 minutes later, he got a very angry phone call <laughs> about how impossible it was. Because it really is a spreadsheet. It's an Excel sheet. And I don't know how they did anything in that. I mean, imagine trying to use an Excel spreadsheet on, like, what, 128 by 32 to figure out where everything goes, moves, shifts, and colorizes? It's ridiculous. So the program that we have now has a lot more features. Um, he's added, he's, I, I can't really talk about a lot of the features, but, I mean, he's, he's made the program so that some of the simple logistical tasks of coloring, like coloring mega blocks of things that are continuous, Intensity takes less time. He's added copy and paste features and transparency features. Um, and, and those things have shaved tons of time off. But the sprite editor that it, he finally built in, before we had a sprite editor, which we have one now in, in the official program that he, that he um, maintains. Uh, but before that, the spreadsheet she's talking about, and I'll show you what I mean by sprites and, and how you determine what's a sprite and what's not a sprite. Um, but the spreadsheet basically converted all of the sprite information into hexadecimal values that are related to the way his program software and his algorithms work. And so when I started Doctor Who, I kept asking him about the sprite mode. I'm like, come on, you got to give me this information because I thought I was so far painted. I had painted for hours and hours. I mean, I had probably already put in 60 hours. I thought I had the game like 95% done. And the funny thing in, with coloring is when you're 95% done, you're like 40% done. Um, and so that's when I got into the spreadsheet. Uh, Chris, I can't remember his name, but Chris, who is the co Enright, Chris Enright, um, who is kind of the co-conspirator of Color DMD, he had created a really basic Excel sheet. And, I, and I've never used Excel for much more than just like summing stuff up, creating averages, just your simple stuff. And he had it doing some crazy things, converting from decimal to hexadecimal and binary and all this different stuff. So I went in there, I figured out what he was doing, and then I modified that spreadsheet for my needs for Doctor Who because back then, and I really wish I could show you the sprite editor, because back then what you had to do was literally, Chris would take a, a graph sheet of graph paper, because I've seen scans of his the way he did it, and he would literally write out all the intensities for every sprite and every single pixel, and then he would go through and he would manually put them into this program. I, I talked Randy into uh, putting export frames in there, and then we could take that information and then start doing some modification. But back then, you used like three programs to do what you use one to do now. That was only two years ago. I've noticed on some of the pin side threads, people think it's easy to do this, right? I've seen you have arguments with people that have no experience at all doing this. So yeah, I mean... I, Obviously, Family Guy is here. I went to your house to kind of deliver the game so you could work on the animation. You know, I wanted Family Guy colorized, and the only way it was going to happen, if somebody that could colorize had a Family Guy. So you've had it since, what, October? Something like that, yeah. You brought it 
late last fall. It's going to be like a new game to me. Anyway, it will be. <laughs> and 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 my my high scores I put up on there are gone too. Well, I'll clear those out. I got that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but my point was is you know I did not realize at the time how crazy it was some of the things that you had to do to make it. It's not as simple as writing new dots for the thing, right? You can't change the code that's coming out of the program. You have to take the code that's coming from the program and do something with it. I had no idea there were spreadsheets behind it, but um, you well, know, for those people that think it's anymore, easy... We've improved dots just a little bit beyond the spreadsheet phase. <laughs> for those people that think it's easy, help them understand why it takes hundreds of hours to colorize one of these things. What's the process? Well, I'll make a quick comparison um, to start out because I know that uh, some people have been using SmartDMD, which uses a pinball browser written by um, Olivier in France. And it's a really pretty cool program. Um, and, and, and I think that's where some of the sort of discussion of, oh, this is easy to do, came from originally. Because people were like, well, man, I can do a game. Because uh, one of the guys, down, I think Mike down in Florida, did, did Metallica. And he did it in a relatively short period of time. But what he was doing was coloring the original images on the ROM themselves before they are run through the processor, before they're run through the transitions, all of the software that the game itself has. So when you watch a game and you're watching the DMD animations, um, the way animations work is that they're set up in layers and they have priority stack. So if I'm playing a game, if I'm playing um, Family Guy and I hit the beer can, if I hit the beer can enough to qualify one of the beer can awards, then Brian's going to shuffle across the screen. And it doesn't matter what else is on the screen at that point, Brian's sprite takes priority in the game program. That's not something that, that's something you have to deal with after the fact. There are random events that come up. Some of the sequences, like right now it's going through a track sequence. These are all what I would call static sequences because they're all set. So those frames, you know they're going to happen a certain way. Now, something that changes is in the middle of this attract screen, if you'll notice. So if you notice when I go back, when I um, go backwards, you see how there's a little transition from one screen to the other? And if I come over this way, let's go forward. Because I had to go through just, just a few days ago to fix this. Actually, Thursday morning, or Friday yesterday morning before I came up here. Let me start one out. So, I've got a single ROM on here, so right now this just looks like a yellow version of what you would normally see. Um, so, a random event, I'm going to start TV mode and show you a random event. So, I want to start uh, Sexy Party mode. So, Sexy Party is a perfect mode to show you when you need sprites. Alright, so with Sexy Party, whenever you hit one of the jackpot shots, which is the lowest shot to the right of the Chris shot, or the ramp shot... Come on now. Yeah, there's your guess. He comes out, and the thing is, if you'll notice the dancers behind him, Every time, the number of them changes. Now, the first time you walk through this, you might think, okay, that's cool, the number of those things change. Cut the volume down here. So, every time that that happens, 
there's going to be a different number of them come. Now, right now, it looks like, okay, you just color that sequence and then you're done. And you might have 20 or 30 sequences. But the problem is, when you really look at it and, oops, did I get one more in there? If you look at it, the ladies don't come out in the same order. The game randomly assigns one of the sprite, a series of sprites, which maintains itself across the screen, maintains itself as an animation across the screen, but they can randomly pop up. So you can't just paint. There could be an unlimited amount of ways that that could show up. And that's that opto that's out. That's causing that to multiply hit. You I'm broke the opto? <laughs> no, I did not break the opto. I liked like that when I got it. I just realized what it was. <laughs> Although I've never stood on this side of the machine and noticed that those say fart. That's weird. <laughs> um, so that's an example of a sprite, a situation that you have to have sprites because you don't know what color they're going to come out. Now, what I could do is I could identify each one of those ladies as she's walking across the screen and just say, okay, well, at this intensity, we'll just color all of them the same, but then that needs it to be playing. And I'll show you that mode color in a little bit and you'll see what it means to be able to identify them individually. That's an example of a sprite mode. Um, another example of a sprite mode, there are several in this game. So I said, when he comes across the screen, I want you to watch the screen because I'm going to show you a problem area. And I didn't mean, I didn't mean Peter's fat, you know what. Okay, now see how he comes across the screen? Whatever's on the other side of the screen, it might be there, it might be something different. So you don't know what's going to come in front of him. And dealing with a situation like that, dealing with a situation like that is where you often run into a lot of your issues, like figuring out whether you have to use a sprite mode or handling the sprite mode. The really difficult part of dealing with the sprites sometimes is that if you get into a mode and you have to have limited sets of sprites in your modes, because you can only have so many sprites in a mode before the engine can't handle it, um, if you get into a mode, you have to have ways to get out. So sometimes, excuse me, I've heard, I heard someone the other day saying, uh, talking about a game that they were playing and it got locked on a white screen. And I said, oh, it sounds like, I think it was Tommy. And he said, oh, it sounds like you got locked in a sprite mode. Because he said, it went into this one thing and everything was colored and then it went black and white and it didn't get out of that until I power cycled the game. And what happened there is that the game didn't catch a frame tag that said, hey, get out of this mode, go back to normal coloring, and go back to looking for other modes. Because what happens is that when, that when that sexy party mode starts and it senses that first frame where Stewie comes in from the right, it automatically goes into a mode that says, we're going to paint, we're going to be in this mode. And it's got a limited set of things, and I have to put in fail-safe tags to make sure that no matter what happens, if it's tilted, if someone opens the coin door, if some other animation that I've never seen before comes up, that it has to be able to get out of that mode without someone opening the coin door or power cycling the game, because that would really ruin the experience. Sorry, I'm a little wordy. <laughs> How about you, Micah? Your experiences doing the colorization? It's, it really is. It sounds so easy. It's like, oh, we're just gonna, we're gonna color some dots. It's, how hard can that be, right? Intensities on the dots, you got I, colors on all the dots. Right? I literally, I got my developer kit and I took my captures and I colored what I thought was so much of the game and it felt awesome. And then I put that first ROM, that first ROM Randy made me into the game and I realized so much of it was still black and white. Because if you're actually manually coloring the screens, you're still not grabbing transitions. So anytime the screen wipes, it's now back to black and white. Anytime that you've missed a sprite mode, it's now back to black and white and it shifts constantly. 
And it's really kind of this, this great mixed emotions moment where you're like, wow, this looks so great. I got to finish this. And then you're like, wow, about this is so done. blank. <laughs> I've been doing this for hours and there's nothing to show for it. But And that sometimes you will work for hours. You'll save all these files. You'll save all these changes. And you realize it doesn't work. You put I, it in the game and you're like, I have to go back and change that entire everything. color. Because um, you're, you're really colorizing the individual pixels in some cases, yes. right? And they look yes. different in the computer versus the DMD. So you go put it in the DMD, you're like, wow, that looks awful. That right. is the worst color choice I could have possibly made. Who thought that was a good idea? Right. And then rip it back out, do the 200 hours over again. It's funny because he said the exact same thing. He was <laughs> it really is, though, because it was one of those moments where I was like, wow. You know, Randy was like, so how are you doing? I was like, I have done so much tonight. I have colored everything. It looks great. And he pulled up the ROM. He's like, no, no, you have not. Well, and Randy's very, I, I will say this about Randy. He has a very specific vision for color DMD and a very specific vision for the quality. Um, he really wants every product that comes out with a color DMD name to have the highest of quality. He wants it to meet his standards. Um, and so when you get to that point where you're beta testing and you've got a couple of people out in the field testing, um, I actually have the best person testing this game I could possibly have. I've got the director of family guide beta testing it right now. So when I get feedback from him, he's like, uh, Quagmire's shirt needs to be this color. Lois's shirt needs to be a different green. Uh, it's a little too lime. Can we make it a little more turquoise? Peter's pants need to be green. He like when he got a hold of the the ROM, he's like, it looks great, except for here's a punch Thing. list. And it's <laughs> and it's very clear that he has been directing this show for 12 years because he recognized everything. With I mean, he sent me a punch list, a couple pages long, within about 30 minutes of getting the ROM. It was one of the most specific punch lists, which was nice because then I could just go back in and. 15 minutes later, I gave him a right back around. He's like, wow, that was quick. I'm like, hey, give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but I'm holding that for later. But Randy is very, very specific, and he wants everything to match the cabinet. It all needs to match the art that's already existing in the game. And the best backhanded compliment I got was I, I did like one of the, the title screen logos. And he was like, wow. I looked at that, and I thought it was hideous. And then I looked at the game, and then I realized you were actually kind of spot on. It's like, oh. Thanks, Randy. It's, it's true. The color guides the game... Um, how I set up the palettes for Family Guy was I literally just found an on-screen scan of the back box and used that to grab all the color RGB values from. Some of them turned out to be a little toned down. There's a lot of, re and that's the other thing, there's a lot of research that goes into doing some of these titles. When I did The Simpsons, um, we started watching The Simpsons at home, like just going season through season. And I, and I watched the first five or six, seven seasons over and over and over again because I had to go back and reference that material to make sure I was coloring that scene right or coloring this or that right. So, for example, when you see the match scene on Family Guy, you're going to think that the trash can stands out and you're like, what are the colors for those? If you look at the scene where that comes from, where that, from what episode that scene comes from, where he farts out a bubblegum bubble, I pulled the colors right from that scene. So there's a lot of research. There's a lot of watching the segments. Tron was, I mean, that was like, I must have watched the movie like 10 times just over the course of about a month because I had to find all those video sequences. Then you have to capture them all, resize them. That was a whole process. But that was another thing that he added to the program. I mean, he added this entire whole other section to import video, you still have to do a whole lot of problem solving with it, but I mean, the tools are there.
I mean, that's the, the... It's both the advantage and the disadvantage of having a themed game, though, like a, an actual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Non-original theme. Licensed. Yeah, thank you. Licensed, there's the word. Um, that you actually can go back and reference it with an original theme. I think I probably have 200 pictures in a folder on my computer that has every square inch of that game in the closest detail, and then pictures of other people's that haven't been quite so faded that so, actually have the appropriate colors as opposed to slightly washed out versions. And uh, you mentioned transitions are a difficulty. Um, I'm going to say, I, I will say that the game that she is working on is a different manufacturer than this game. There's um, your hint. There, there's your one hint. It's an earlier game. It's and, a, and it is taking something theme. It is taking something from B&W and making it color. Does Ooh. that work? Um, but the transitions in Stern are different than the transitions for Bolly Williams. They're different than the transitions Sega used. They're different than the transitions Capcom used. They're different than the transitions Gottlieb used. Some of them use similar transitions, but you'll notice, like those of you who play a lot of games, you notice a lot of recycled pieces. So if you're playing... Um, if you're playing, uh, what's the, I'm thinking of Medusa, you'll hear sounds from Centaur, because you know Bali reused yeah. sounds. They do the same thing with DMD um, displays. And if you think back to the '90s, was it the '90s when we had the video toasters, and everybody was yeah. making videos with the swipes and the the wipers, and everybody was like, "Ooh, let's let's use this effect because we can." Yeah, they clearly took that to Bali Williams, and I hate whoever. Bali Williams uses a lot of transitions like that that go cross screen dither. And here's the reason that that becomes such a difficulty. You have 128 by 32 pixels on your screen. And the way that you identify what's coming up on the screen is you select some portion or two portions. You can select up to two rectangles to include or exclude or a combination thereof. And you have to identify what's going to be in that portion of the screen. And then that's given basically some kind of a tag using his, his algorithms and his genius because he really is incredibly He's quick incredibly and smart. yeah um and and so you have to use a limited number of masks to be able to identify what's going on and that's the other thing if you get into a game like uh, that's something i'm not as good at i guess other developers at is i use almost every mask in a game and i've had other developers oh i only use 10 masks i'm like how did you get away with 10 masks i had to use 33 so so let's talk about the process you got the game you put it into display then what do you do? How do you start? You load it in developer mode. So you actually have to put in a specific developer ROM that allows you to... What? Talk, talk to the mic. Which is in here. <laughs> okay, Dan. Okay. You actually have to put the thing in developer mode so you can actually capture the footage from the software. You actually you know, stick a USB stick in there, you know, press a button, and it'll suck in all of the animation. You're playing the game. Basically, I sit there with or the glass off and a, smack you're, you're playing a everything. recording of the game, yeah. essentially. Right. You record segments. And you load that recording back into dots and start slowly working Ooh. through it. A dot at a time, or yeah, in the can. case of the mask thing that you were just talking about, that's taking a region and colorizing it a certain color. Some of them are simple. So the basic score screen, when you start a game, the basic score screen, uh, it depends on how you want to style that game. But for Family Guy, it's just yellow on the bottom, white on top. Um, and, and, the, and there are simple design rules that you have to apply to this. Um, sometimes... It's less is more. I mean, you do apply your standard design philosophy to colorizing because it's really easy to take sequences where you have artistic license and go crazy and think, ooh, I'm going to put this out. As, and as people like to call it, um, 
puke of spittles, skittles? Is that clown vomit? Clown, clown vomit. vomit. Yeah. And and vomit. you hear that sometimes. You know, when people are like, "Oh, that looks like clown vomit," and you're like, "I that wasn't what I was going for." <laughs> so you might have to tone down. But yeah, I mean, on a normal screen, on a score screen, it's just the top of it's white and the bottom six rows are yellow. And then there may be other screens where half of it's a color. Um, so those are masks. You're taking that those, region. Yeah. You don't individually color those dots. Yeah. You just say, okay, if you see this if combination see of this, dots. If you see this mask, if you see that in this part of the screen, this is what's happening. And, and, and that's the other thing. It has to be a unique identifier. Then paint it like this. Okay. Um, now let's talk about some specifics for this game. I know one of the things that we're going to do here in this session is you're going to actually turn on the colorization on the, on the game. As soon as I can find I'm not sure do how it. long that takes to happen. So, uh, it takes, takes 30, 40 seconds. Depends 40 on seconds, how. okay. If I can find it. Yes, the gentleman in the back. So you guys have to go through and hit every single one. So if the screen only comes... Every permutation of what could be a screen. Every variation that could possibly come up in every mode and every feature at any time. You think about the video modes, frames per second, right? Each one of them is a frame. They colorize well, individually or no? There's some tools to make it less individual? Um, some of them. 2,000 to 4,000 frames is the average. For a video mode or video some sequence. Some frames may have hundreds of pixels. Well, I mean, then there's games that have, you know, midnight madnesses, midnight multiballs that you've got to, you know, change the clock in the game, hope you hit it, hope it comes up, hope you hit everything while you're in that, change the clock back, start again, try again, do that, hit that. Did you lose the ROM? <laughs> the no, keys no. to the back box. It's <laughs> like, this is going to be kind of embarrassing if you lost the ROM. No, I could, I've got my computer here, I could always download it. So there's a good possibility you guys miss a frame or two or ten. Oh, yes. all the time. Yes, but the thing is, you have people extensively beta test, do beta test, you go through. And they're not afraid to tell you, hey, there's a big white screen where you screwed up. Right, but, but do they, when they beta test, do they also have a way to capture those frames? Some of the people do, because sometimes the beta testers are your other colleagues that are colored, and they might have the games. Um, Eric Krippy, that's done uh, Iron Man. He's done so many already, and Spider-Man, Spider-Man VE, which were just announced. Um, he, uh, I mean, he's done tons. He's done tons. Um, so uh, I will tell you that if you see something that's not colored here, that you shouldn't see it. I, I, I need to check. Um, but here, let me just make a quick example of this. Like right here, this little contest winner screen. Before, when I first sent out the the first or second beta ROM build to, to Greg, he sent back a thing saying, hey, the contest when the screen is blank. I'm like, what are you talking about? I hadn't even seen that screen. And there was one point where I was capping something, I got done capping, and I put in a Sigma ROM, and I was looking, and, and there was a thing that says Stern Family Guy Presents, and it says Family Guy across the screen in big lit. I had never seen that. And it only came out when I got to some setting in the ROM. So there were also those those things. And a lot of people don't color the um, service menus. I'm a little bit anal. I kind of like, <laughs> no, I, I, like, no, no. like, no. I like the service menus to be colored um, <laughs> all the way through. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, other people might. Hey, not, you got, you got, not to slight anybody, but, you know, if you're going to color it. Um, so, <laughs> so, you can see here, the, the top part of the screen is all going to be white. The bottom part's all going to be yellow. Um, this is actually a sprite mode, and I can't remember why I made a sprite mode. At one point, well, actually, I can't remember, and I'll tell you why. Every time you hit death, so I'm going to let death go. 
So you raise, when you raise that, then you head it up here, it pulls up the, a, a little depth bumper shock to keep you from dying like that if you go down the center. But when you hit that, this little animation plays. And you'll notice that there's a score over the right. Mark, your body's in the way. Of you. Well, you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll notice that, you'll notice that there, there, um, there was a score there, and that score changed. What I didn't know early on was, how much can that score possibly change? Is that score going to go to a million? Is that score going to stretch into death? Because if he does, then that's going to make death miscolored. So I just made that a sprite mode so that death always gets colored, and anything else that gets come up as a score will still be colored white like it should be. Um, I told you I would show you Sexy Party, so I'll show you that, just to show you that mode. So like, here's a screen. That screen always comes up, and it looks for the TV, or it looks for Lois because there's one that has the TV over here and then there's one that doesn't have Lois over here. So I had to check the both sides. So I start, um, I don't, let's see, I want to be, uh, be on good old boys. Oh, and here's another thing. Did you guys see the beer can hit? What does it say? Root beer. It says a root beer because this is on family-friendly settings. <laughs> which also and there's three settings, right? There's like a family-friendly, there's a full, horribly yeah. raunchy, and then yes. a medium. And you start fart multi-ball, on the family settings it just says multi-ball, and that screen came up uncolored when I went switched to family settings. When you switch to the non-family settings, this doesn't say root beer, it just says ale. And so I had to have a whole different set of sprites to capture those cans, because that image, even though it looks the same, is not the same. And the another funny thing is you find bugs that the developers didn't know about. There's a bug in that can sprite when you hit it. There's a bug when it first leans back. You can't see it at this speed, but the letters, they show the frame behind it, and they shouldn't. <laughs> and I happen to know that Eric contacted Stern about some issues they had in Spider-Man programming to correct some things, because they're just things that you see that you'll never see. People thought that there was a bug in Doctor Who, because when you go from, I think it's Doctor Two and Five and Three and Six, there are two sets of doctors. If you watch Doctor Who when you're playing the video mode, it'll start as one doctor and it will transition to another doctor. <laughs> and it's always, there are two pairs of doctors that always transition the same. And people are like, dude, that's a bug, you miscolored it. I'm like, no, it's not a bug on my part. Bolly Williams misprogrammed that, either misprogrammed it back in the day, or that was someone's joke. It maybe was an Easter egg, because those doctors always change. Now, luckily, they changed in that order, because that was a humongous sprite mode, and that was all done with spreadsheets. Those doctors had to be done one for every one of those positions, so you know how the doctors are jumping and they have all these positions? I'd have a sprite for every doctor, and then I had to have multiple sprite clones for the different positions, because they could be covered up with the debris. So, let's show you Sexy Party. And this scene comes up, it's the same. Chicken Fight! Oh, I love Chicken Fight. Chicken Fight's good, too. So, <laughs> Chicken Fight, it's not in sprite mode, though. But it kind of looks like it could be. Um, but Chicken Fight, this is a good example of an animation where, like you were talking about, every one of these is individually covered. Colored. You just so brute forced it? one of these frames is, there are probably about 100, 120 versions of this frame. I just went through and spent about three hours coloring this one. Um, so yeah, that, that was a lot of work. Uh, because that, that you can't go through. Let's just hurry up and, and beat the chicken. There you go, Peter White. <laughs> and there's Brian. Happy hour started yet. Let's 
And as horrible as it sounds to spend like three hours colorizing one scene, I know there's one where I have 263 frames in one like one second animation that I had to like manually hand color. It's so much easier than programming a sprite mode sometimes because then you're wasting a valuable sprite mode that you don't, you can't use anymore um, for something else. So sometimes it is worth for time. Blue. I've already used one player. First one came up blue, that, then you have a gray and a blue one. And then you've got a white, a gray, and a red one. Then you got a red, white, gray, blue. Um, and, the, and the sad thing was there were actually five intensities on this one. I wanted to do all five so I could have five colors. In the original sequence for this, there are eight dancing women, if you look at, if you watch the show. Um, and they're only in the, the sequence for like five seconds. I mean, they come out, they dance in a circle around, in a little sailor outfit. Um, and then some of the other sprite mode, you know, so that, that's that. Um, one other sprite mode, well, there are several other modes, but I'll leave it at that. And, uh, we'll let this game close and just let it sit the track for a little bit. Now, if anybody knows Family Guy and wants me to show them anything in particular, uh, feel free. I mean, you think about it, I mean, you're colorizing things that players like me would never in a million years see, right? Most people, I think, don't even notice stuff until it's been colorized. There are things in Doctor Who, Tron, Simpsons, I never noticed until I colored them. And then I was like, and for a game Those like Doctor Who... Those little things at the bottom of Tron. So anybody that's yes, played Tron, the when bars. you're in the... Dif there's different bars at the bottom of the screen... That I had no idea until I was sitting in so, Ryan's So, audience office. participation, raise your hand if you've ever wondered why Stern put those bars in there. Okay. They all have a, a purpose. I can't remember them in order, but a they're Cora timers. and Jim. There, there's a Cora, a Jim, a uh, uh, light cycle. Light cycle. <laughs> there, there are six different mode timers, um, but three of them are the spinner timers. So you've got the pops, the the um, play field multiplier, etc. It wasn't until I had literally that. just borrowed a Tron for like six months. I had had a Tron in my house for six months, never noticed it. Went to play yours on the the stream, had no idea it was there. It was a blast having you there for the stream. Thanks, I appreciate it. And that reminds me, you you asked about re, you mentioned about redoing something. That was when I first was coloring Tron, I saw those bars and when I actually figured out what they were for, my initial thought was let's color those and color them with the mode colors. But that turned into a problem because of highlights, sprites, and all these other things that were going on, the video, and, and it was just going to be like too much to implement. But when we put out a preview and people were like, why aren't those colored? It's like you do all this work and you make all these choices and then there are still going to be people who want in that game what they want it to be. Um, it took probably 10 or 12 hours to go back through all of the captures, all of the frames, all the sequences, and make sure that as I change the highlights so that they would work. And then you have to write, rewrite that into all your sprite modes too. Because if you have a sprite mode that comes up, it's gotta cover whatever's on the screen too, whether it's scoring, dots, so. The other thing that's super tricky is you have a really, I guess not anymore, but you have a limited color palette on every frame. You can only use what, 16? 16 colors. Per frame, so if one of your other palettes has a color you needed, and you realize that there's not room in your other palette, you've got to reshift everything that uses palette one to make sure those 16 colors still match everything. So you change one color and it changes every dot that is using that color on palette one. 
So either you need to move to the next palette, you need to adjust your expectations, and it, it gets tough if you have a really colorful game. Um, I don't know if you ran into it this one. I know I'm struggling a little bit with colors. Thankfully, we now have seven colors. We have, we have eight. Eight, seven eight. or eight, maybe it seven. it's seven. Um, we have a lot more. I mean, when I started with Doctor Who, we had twelve colors per frame, and he jacked it up to sixteen. It and that was like, that was like, oh! It was four, four palettes when colors. I started, and then they put out new ones. And I was like, this is the greatest day ever. Yeah, I think I Thank used you. three palettes on this one, and one of them I only used for for the sequence where they do the drunken drunken clam, and that's because Greg said, um, by the way, Peter's skin needs to be slightly less tan than Quagmire's. And whoever the the other guy is that's in there, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I just did that, and I hope that he 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 likes it. But I mean, those are kinds of the attention to detail. Um, I had something else that, I, that what you said made me think about, but I lost it. Well, let's talk a little bit about team dynamic. You said you did, you've done parts of games. How does that work out? Um, why why you for that piece of it? Okay, well, at the time, that was back when the sprite editor was still not going. So when ACDC and Metallica were being developed, um, Chris Enright did, uh, did both of those, actually. And Chris was the sprite guru already. I mean, he was the guy who created the Excel spreadsheet that I then modified, but I did things to the Excel. I taught myself things in Excel that I was like, wow, I can do this now. Um, and my spreadsheet to me became like even much more useful because I just said, okay, what do I need this to do and what do I need it to come out like? So his spreadsheet basically would take the frame information, you would have to manually enter in everything and it would spit out whatever you needed for the program. My spreadsheet made it where you could go back in and re-edit those numbers and change it and modify it and paste new stuff in just to speed up the process. But at the time that Metallica and ACDC were in development, there was no generic sprite editor. There was nothing in dots. It was all being done. And the thing was, I mean, Chris was trying to get Metallica done within a certain time frame. And, and there definitely was, I, I feel, and this is just my opinion, I feel like there definitely was some competitive urge to get Metallica done because at that point, Smart DMD was kind of pushing, saying, hey, we're going to have this done. And and I think that, you know, the coloring job Mike did looks fine. I think that the coloring job that Chris and I did, mostly, I mean, Chris, I just did a few sprite modes for that one, looks better. But, I mean, it's all a matter of taste. Um, on no ACDC, on ACDC, he was just so bogged down with so many other things because these, those of you who have played more modern Stern games, you will know that they have thrown in so much more so much more of their ROM is packed. If you were to open a, a ROM from a later era game in the last three or four years in Pinball Browser and compare what's in the DMD animation section to five or six years ago, the ROMs have exploded in the number of transitions they're using, the animations, everything. They put so much more in there. Um, ACDC had, I spent a lot of time on ACDC. The, how many of you are familiar with ACDC at all? Okay, this shook me up where the car is shaking and the women are getting out of the car. It looks a little bit like Sexy Party. It is a nightmare. It was a nightmare because I had all the different women with different intensities and different color to color all the different outfits and skin tones because we wanted different skin tones too. Um, but we couldn't do that because of limitations of, of intensity. And, and we are still locked down on, on some things. But there are so many occlusions in that mode. When... What's the, uh, what's the guy that pops out of the car? I can never remember the, the band members' names. But the, Angus. Angus. Yeah. When Angus pops out of the car, he covers up whatever girls are coming out of the car. 
And there are literally two or three pixels on the screen that tell you what that image is at that point. So you detect the pixels and then decide what to draw the rest of it. Yeah, but you have right. to make sure that those pixels cannot possibly be mistaken for some other sprite. And when you only have two or three pixels to work off of, it depends on location, it depends on where this, the pixels are. Some of it is saying, okay, I have two possibilities here. I'm going to program both possibilities, but I'm going to put a hierarchy of if it happens before Angus, it shows up on top of Angus. If it happens after Angus in the list, so like when you're building the sprites, there's, a, there's so much planning. I mean, she's talking about color palettes. One of the first pieces of advice that I give someone that's like, hey, I'm getting started, what do I do? It's like, look through all of the caps that you have first and try, try not to color. Try to just pick your palette and try not to make a very big database to start out with. Because if you do, you're going to spend hours and hours, and you might have to go back and just start all over again. And that really helps. You, you told me that, and I went through and I grabbed all of the major scenes from a couple points in the game and just colored one frame in each one just to figure out what I needed, what I could reuse, what I could keep. And I literally had a sheet of paper where I literally drew out the palettes and wrote down where I was using each color and which sequence. And it turned into like a five-page document of... It's, it's pretty pathetic, but it's planning it's really and it's problem It's planning and it's problem solving. There's a lot of planning, writing down, taking into like a table of contents, saying, "Okay, I, I have a cap file on this frame. Here's this animation. Here's this animation with The Simpsons. I had an indexed thing. So if someone said, "Hey, there's a problem with this," I just pulled up my spreadsheet and said, "What cap and what what frame number?" And I could go right to it. That saved me a ton of time. I didn't do that with Tron because it started out differently, and I haven't done it with Family Guy because it started, I mean, every game has a completely different process. If there were two words to describe color DMD, colorizing, above all others, to me, it's, it still comes down to problem solving. Always solving problems. The shook me up mode with the ladies coming out, they cover each other. So if oh she's my. one woman coming out of the car, like, put your hand out this way. So she's coming out, I might be trailing her like this, with one hand occluding her and one hand trailing back. That was a problem, and we couldn't figure it out. And finally, the solution was, because one side would always be covering and the other side wouldn't be, I split every one of them into two sprites, a left and a half side. So all of the left sides were put earlier, so they had a lower priority or a higher priority, and all of the other halves were put later, so they are put earlier in the file, so they had a lower prior or later in the file, so they have a lower priority. Um, so there's a lot of like you can prioritize and you can solve problems that way But that was like okay instead of coloring them all at once. We have to color them by half There's a lot of trial and error and a lot of redoing of things once you realize that you found the error and Need to find a new trial. All right, so Randy from color DMD has come up with some new modes for displaying the various dots and so forth on the screen. Does that change the process by which you, um, you're you gonna colorize? Like the high res mode, the big dots mode, or any of that? Does that change what you guys does that, do? Does that change it for you? I, I actually do. I go through, um, I tend to stay on the dots XL because I can see it better. They're brighter for some reason on my computer, so I see the colors a little bit better and they're a little more accurate to what they're gonna be on the DMD. But I do actually go through, I go through scan, I go through high res, and if there's anything that looks really bizarre, to go back, change it, tweak it, move some colors around. Dots Excel will generally tell me where I need to put things, but even then it's not a perfect science. There's always one tiny pixel somewhere 
that looks horrible in scan, that doesn't belong there, that I have to go back and find a way to mediate the issues between it. Um, I know I probably, on every sequence, run through every mode and play it back just to make sure it looks decent and every time. And sometimes that also becomes a case of perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, and there's some that will never be perfect, but there's some that look a lot better because of it. I still, I still develop every game just in, in normal dots because, to me, I'm, I'm working with the source material, so I'm just doing that. I will say that when... <laughs> I, I had a little bit of a jealous, or not jealous, a selfish moment when when I found out that Randy was going to do the high res in the scan. It was while I was working on Simpsons, and I was begging him to let me release Simpsons as the first ROM because I'm like, this is perfect. It's a cartoon. It's going to fit the way it looks because it fleshes things in. And when I first saw it in game, it was just like it blew me away. I couldn't believe how much different it made the dots look. Um, I think it's probably just purely kind of selfish on my part that I, I all of my games run in scan, or they always run in that. I love that. I think it looks great. So I make sure that the one I'm doing looks great in scan because that's what it's going to sit on in you know, my house. That's what it's going to sit on, hopefully, in everybody's house. Um, so if it looks really crummy, I'm going to be upset. I do, look, I do look through a few sequences from time to time, especially things like Chicken Fight. I do want to see how they're going to look, um, but I still program in dots just in case. Because you want to know that it's going to look good for the, the original setting. The one thing about the high scan, the high res and the scan modes is that they use algorithms to determine which dots connect based on intensity and color. And sometimes the algorithm doesn't have the best outcome. I mean, but it's, it's probably one of the best algorithms that, that's out there. So I, I think it's a great algorithm. I prefer scan for most of the stuff once I put it in the game. And although I don't think we have all those modes available in the test room. Okay. Well, I think uh, we've got a couple more minutes, I believe, before we have to end the session. Are there any questions from anyone in the audience on, uh, on Color DMD? Uh, getting back to Easter eggs, uh, so everything is beta tested in, in that regard. There's no way of pulling up um, code in the ROM to see all of the hidden things. I actually have cheated and used the, the website that has all the Easter eggs in the game and found the list and went through and made sure I found it all in the caps and pulled everything I could find. Because there were some that I never would have known about unless I had that list. Because, like, there are some random ones that you, you know, randomly hit different, different left and right sequences. things and it pops up stuff. And I haven't gone to that extent. Um, but I will tell you that you find what you think are Easter eggs because there are just sequences... Uh, I'm trying to remember what it is. It's not video mode. There's a sequence in Doctor Who. And I think it may, it, I can't remember if it's a video mode sequence or, or what, but it's a sequence I have never seen. I think most people will never see it in Doctor Who because you have to do this one thing over and over so many times. And I, I wish I could remember what it was, but it just. Maybe. But there's, there's a sequence there where. There's something that comes on the screen, a Dalek comes on the screen and does something that I've never seen, like takes off like a rocket or something like that. And I've never seen anyone get to it in a, a tutorial video. I've never seen it in a standard gameplay. I don't think anybody's going to get to it, but yeah. Okay. Um. At the uh, Texas Pinball Festival, they showed on Surface Voltaire uh, LED version of Color DMD. Have you guys worked on any of those? Or I'm assuming he's the that's still a, my understanding is that that's still a prototype they're still working on 
tweaking that and getting it right right where they want it. I mean, Randy is so specific about how he wants things that he's not going to have that out until he thinks it is producing the best possible results with the technology that he's got. In that example, I was chatting with him about it, and he was telling me about the things he wasn't happy with, and I'm like, <laughs> I can't even see it, sorry. Most, most, <laughs> any any and person that has this can. game wants this now. <laughs> and many people can't. Um, I'm, I'm, I imagine that Chris or he will probably color it, or it's already been, they've already been working on coloring it. It's just, that's one of those limitations. However, that will open up some other games. I mean, someone asked about Rocky and Bullwinkle. Well, there was some interest in coloring that, but those of you who have ever seen the back box of that game know that there's some mechs way down low that you literally, I mean, you can't just remove light bulbs there. You've got a mech that's in the way. So some of the games just have other technical to overcome Tommy you have to cut out part of the back box which I tested Tommy on ours at home and I had to make adjustments to the to the back box to do that I think John you had a question well, I was going to ask about you guys know the difference I, I think I heard there's a new version of the hardware the newer the newer versions have a higher memory chip in them. You can replace the memory chip, I believe. I, I think I read in a thread because it, it has to do with Spider-Man. The Spider-Man sequences needed so much memory because there was so much video that they couldn't be, even with his best compression algorithms, he couldn't compress them down into the database in a way that the engine could hold them. Um, so the newer ones will all work for anything that's been made before. Um, the old ones will handle anything that's been released before, and they'll hand, I think they'll handle Spider-Man VE. They just won't handle Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man. So it's not a processor difference, although, you know, I mean, he's constantly thinking about upgrading, and he constantly talks, and we're constantly like, hey, can we put these features in? Hey, can we do this? I mean, I've thought that it would be great to have an entire game as a sprite mode. So you, you just detect sprites the whole game. Okay, Satan. Yeah, I know. You're like, back off for a minute here. Um, yeah, it, 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 there are technical issues. Um, yeah. That sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> working, working through something like this, is it, is it more of a developer mindset, designer mindset, or are you kind of like 50-50? I'd say design. I think I probably spend more time with, I mean, maybe that's just the art background speaking, but... I probably spend more time, half my screen is literally just pictures of the game of trying to make it look the best, make it feel like it's part of the game and that it doesn't stick out. Because there are some that I've done that just have stuck out like a sore thumb when I put them in the game and then had to go back and really think more about colors and think more about design and how is this going to work and how does it look when this color is kind of over there but we don't really see it much. I think I probably hit design more than developer. I wouldn't think of it as much of a developer mentality just because you're not really creating anything. You're just adapting things. Um, so design, I, I, I would stick with design. It's, it's about looking at your source material. It's about making choices. I will say that uh, every time I see someone else's job, someone else's game that they've colorized, I'm like, hmm, I would have done that differently, or I would have done that differently, or, oh, that looks fantastic. Oh, I never would have thought to do that. Or, wow, that was great. Like, there are Easter eggs. Um, in Tron, I think Eric might have been the first one. It was either Eric or Dave. Someone put an Easter egg on the display screen test. So when you go into the screen test and you do the display test and it does the line up and down and then does the full screen, there's some Easter eggs in there. And I put an Easter egg on, I think I did one on Simpsons. 
I'm not 100% sure, but I did do one on Tron, and I need to find that frame because I'm going to put one on here. It's just little things like that. I mean, so that's design. I mean, it, there's no development going on. We can't modify what's coming out completely. I will show you how I can modify. Remember earlier I showed you, because uh, I almost forgot, the Brian sequence when Brian comes out, there may be stuff in front of the screen. The problem with that is that when Brian comes out, there are so many possibilities for what can be on the screen. Not a mistake. It just it came out of a mode. I have an emergency sprite. There's my, my failsafe. So there's a problem. So whatever screen I came out of, I'm going to have to go back and find that and fix it because it got stuck in the sprite mode and I know exactly which mode it got stuck in. It got yeah, stuck in mode 8. Alright, so we are going to... Oh, wait, what am I doing? Alright, so it doesn't matter what's on the screen. Let's say we start happy hour. Uh, we'll start something. I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. We're doing something here. Um, oh, we can hide video. Although, Crazy Chris is never like... It never reliably goes. So, when you hit Brian, he'll come across the screen. Oh, it started to remember that. Sorry. We wouldn't have done that if I hadn't started to remember that. Notice how there was nothing in front of him? I actually used an opaque color there to occlude whatever came in front of him. Because whatever's going to be is already going to have been up for several frames. Um, I'll do it again here in a second. It's already going to have been up for enough frames generally for you to see it. But Brian came out and he created too many problems for me. Brian is not a good guy. He created problems for me. So you'll notice that when he comes out, everything in front of him just cleared out. It was the only way to address that because I would have times where he would come over to this part of the screen and there would be three dots and there was no way I could isolate what that was versus something else by that time. And I could have included those three dots, but I wanted to, you want the feel of the game to be in it and so that anybody who's watching the display, you want them to always be in it. You don't want them to fall out because they saw a little glitch on the screen or a white flash and you want to do whatever you can to avoid that. Okay, we have maybe a question, one more question, because we're almost out of time. So based on what you just said, you can only isolate sprites. You can't isolate nothing that's like this, this already right. No, no. You can't, put, you can't put color and light where there isn't color and light being provided. Basically, as Randy, I think Randy described it as basically like light gels, or, you know, on, on, a, on a Leco or on a theater light. Just, it's like putting cells in front of lights. So whatever cells or pixels are highlighted on the screen, those are the only ones you can color. Because we have had people say, hey, what? it would be really cool if you could do this. It's like, we can't do that. If we did that, we would be infringing on the copyright by altering the actual dots. The, re the way the way that Rand gets, I don't want to say gets away with it, but the way that it's legal is that because, he, because we aren't altering what's generated to the screen from the motherboard, it does. It, it gets away without infringing on the software and the le the legalities and logistics of that. Versus going to something like pinball browser. Actually. Versus going to smart. The reason why smart DMD cannot operate as a commercial entity selling those files is because they have. You have to modify the actual ROM software that the game runs, and and I know that. Before he started doing Stearns, Randy was already talking to Gary and, and whoever else at Stern to, to make sure that he wasn't going to have any issues with them. And I, I think that turned into being able to work with them with Spider-Man VE coming out so that 
that could happen more, you know, in a, in a more congenial manner. Okay, I think that concludes our session. We do appreciate you all, you guys all uh, joining us for Southern Fried Game Room Expo. It's been a great show so far. I really hope you enjoy the rest of the next day and a half. Thank you, and uh, have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to these two as well. I, I can't imagine what they go through to do this. It's just, uh, my head was spinning when he was describing the process. I'm like, there's no way I would sign up for this. We cry a lot of You night. both have an art background, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Something like that. All right, thank you. So we've spent my money, and we've talked to a little tech stuff. And, uh, you know, oh, dude, I cannot wait to see new inbox pinball day, man. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. We, we spent a lot of my money. Yes, I yes. was just thinking about like the you know the little bit of my money, like uh, Nintendo reject coin reject buttons and slapstick testers. Oh yeah, maybe a little of somebody else's money on some things to help them troubleshoot their Williams games. And yeah, we've done that. So now we're gonna move into. One of my favorite sections yeah. of the show. Yeah, do some feedback, man. Do before, some feedback yeah, before we wrap up the show. We get to hear from people that hear us all the time. Yes, yes. And and so Brent, we've we've we do have a fair amount of feedback this month, and I love it. I I, I love having that. You know, I love having you know a, a good amount of feedback. It's it's really it's really satisfying. So uh, this first one is an email from uh, from listener Joe. And uh, Joe writes in, and I, Brent, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit some of the highlights here because it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, long and but thoughtful email. But I'd like to say there's, there's a couple data points here that, that are definitely, uh, that are definitely, you know, worth touching on. So Joe uh, starts the email and he says, "Hey guys, I'm sure this has been suggested before, but is there any way you can break up your shows into a forty, into, um, into smaller bites?" Uh, and he goes on to say like episode 43A, 43B, 43C, you know, whatever it may be. He says a four hour and 40 minute show just seems crazy to me now <laughs> i i love i loved seeing that in email and you know in the question being asked because you know brent it's yeah it's no secret we have long shows okay no secret whatsoever but the one thing i do want to say and, and joe we appreciate you writing in but there's there is a lot of people that have commented very positively on having long shows because they pause, they resume, they stretch it out over a few commutes, a few drives, uh, whatever it may be. But, you know, Brent, we've talked about, you know, should we curtail the show length a little bit? And we've always just said, no, let's just talk. Let's just let's just go until the content is covered. And, uh, and Joe, I mean, I appreciate, appreciate you asking the question, but I'd say, the, you know, the large majority of the other feedback we get says no keep the show exactly the way it is so I, I i don't know joe i don't see us really cutting it up because man that just i mean you want to talk about a mess inside your podcast feed and you know everything on itunes everything on stitcher everything on xbox music which is now groove all of that man it would look horrible from a podcast feed perspective and if you're listening to us via like a podcatcher you would never be able to keep any of this straight so uh, joe we have to keep everything in in a episode format you know as far as uh, splitting them up probably not an option uh but uh, man i just say just get uh, get handy with the pause button that's say, about the best way i know to say there's it. several shows that i listen to that run kind of long uh, earlier yeah. in the episode i was talking about catching up on 10 pence and yep. they were running the, um that, that four-hour show 
show on oh, yeah. the 60 and one run through. Yeah. I have gotten kind of in that same position where another show will release a shorter show yeah. and all right, I'll change up for a little bit. The app I use kind of like I was describing with YouTube earlier and even a DVR yes. the app I use on my Android. Actually, I'll reach over and get it here in a second when you're covering the next bit of this. Sure. that People are interested in knowing it. If I pause the show and I switch to another show, yeah. I can come back to the show I had paused originally a and week, pick it right a, back a up. A week later. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, the podcatcher that I use on my phone is exactly the same way. I don't I don't have a problem where I lose track if I shift if I shift over to another episode it works well so so yeah so Joe that's that's the best thing that I that I know to say that I mean just for making sure that the rest of everything that we that we manage with producing the show stays nice and clean and tidy uh, I, I doubt I doubt I doubt you'll see see us change that so, so I, I, real quick I use Pocket Cast it's very highly regarded yeah, it's on a, both uh, both iOS and Android actually. honestly yeah. I've had Android. This is my third Android phone, so mm-hmm. I've had Android for several years at this point. That is the only app I have ever purchased. Yeah. And it's only a couple bucks. Yeah, but I'm sure it's worth it. It, it, it is. Yeah. And it, it, it was so highly regarded when I when I purchased it. I've used it. I'm pretty sure I used it on my last phone, and then, of course, it comes forward as yeah. I transfer phones. Yeah. The, I've I've had it that long. It's been yeah. it's been like the market leader. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that that's good. Um, so Joe goes on to to write. He he says uh, talking about the subject of Mame. He said there was a great Mame podcast that only lasted maybe three episodes, and it was called the Retro Mame Arcade Podcast. And you know, Brent, I remember when that sh- when that podcast started uh, because I was interested in it. I put it in my podcatcher, and then Joe is correct. It just died, <laughs> and it died very. Very early and was never, never picked back up. But he he does go on to say he goes. I would love to hear someone talk more about Mame. It seems like there's no there's 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 so much information out there, you know, for, uh, from information you know ranging from different front ends to different cabinet builds, you know, full height cabaret, bar top, wall hanging, whatever it may be. He said some don't even go through Mame, but just uh, buy the those uh, six forty and one boards or those you know X and one boards, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Now, Joe, so I'll stop your email here and say, I, you know, we're, we're not a main podcast, although we... I there's mean, we talk, so we, much inf- there's, there's so there, much there. There's so much there. I mean, we could almost start another podcast just on MAME. Uh, of course, if I did, my wife and my, my, my lovely wife, Jackie, would just slay <laughs> me if we did that. But you know what, Brent? I will say this, and to address Joe's point, I think that there's probably avenues where we could sprinkle in a little bit of MAME, uh, MAME discussion where it's related to the arcade topic at hand and maybe we could do that or not single maim out or not purposely exclude it but um i you know if if i could find another main pod, let's put it this way joe if we can find a way to fit it in where it's complementary to what we're talking about we'll do it but i i would also uh say i'll search for another main podcast as well because much like you joe i would like to consume that type of content as well so here's a thought and, yeah. and I, I agree with you whitney yeah. i would like to consume that kind of content because I know I could build a main box. Oh yeah, functionally I can build it. But yeah. you know, everyone I'm sure is aware we've we've got the PC background. Yeah, uh, Joe uh, further down here mentions Raspberry Pi. I've played with Pies a little bit. 
um, the uh, uh, the interface is kind of a, a no brainer these days it with packs and yeah. all the utilimark that, stuff right. that's out there. That's right. So I know the basics, but the front end stuff is kind of where it's at. How you yeah, how you set up hyperspin, how you sped up uh, sped up, how you set up Mala things right, things exactly. like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the big gap in my mind. And yeah, that would be really cool to know more about. So here, here's kind of what I'll throw out to everybody. Okay, we've talked a lot in this episode in very in, in the various segments about you know encouraging folks to to do things, jump in the hobby a little deeper, whether it's repair or uh, whatever. Create a podcast. Is there anybody out there that has just gone through this? There's a lot of people out there looking for that kind of content that can yeah. discuss, you know, what's going on in the main world. What's the uh, what's the tools and techniques to make. Uh, gun games work or exactly. run track balls or just or, just managing rom sets you know, you like, like auditing and managing rom sets because they change like on a weekly to monthly basis you yeah. start a show and you let us know that rhymed <laughs> you yeah. start a show and you let us know and we'll be happy to pimp it we'll, absolutely yes, there's no doubt now the one thing that i will say and and you can't talk about mame without talking about the build your own arcade controls forum at byoac.com and you know Brent, I was in. I was heavy, heavy into the meme scene before I bought my Donkey Kong, my first arcade game. And there are times when I when I want to revisit the meme scene and kind of catch myself up a little bit. But um, you know, once you've kind of got the mechanics of meme down, then it becomes all about everything that wraps around meme, mm-hmm. kind of like what you were talking about. So uh, yeah, I mean, Joe, we'll, we'll do we'll do some looking around. If we find anything, we'll pass it on to you. But at the same point, I'd, we'd also make the call out to the public. Man, if you're looking for a podcast to start, that's a niche that has not been filled. So, yes, definitely. All right, Whitney. So, oh, was there more? Oh, yeah. And, okay. and ju- yeah. I was going to. I was going to no, move no, on to that. No, thank you. That thank you. T- t- yeah. Twit. Twit. Yeah. Tur- twi- yes. Okay. That, I was. Gonna, all right. Yeah. That. Tweet, Gosh, I got to get up with that, the kid. that tweeting thing. I got to get up with what all the all the kids are doing these days. Exactly. But Joe Joe does uh, Joe does wrap up his email and he says, uh, guys, he goes, I always appreciate the interviews with people in the industry and hearing stories of game development. Thanks, Joe. And Joe, thank you for taking the time to write in and saying the kind words. We love to bring the content uh, to everybody. So, yeah, that's that's great. Thank you, sir. All right, Whitney, on to Twitter. <laughs> yes. So, Brent, people... It looks, uh, it looks like Twitter is now actually an, an, an avenue used by our listeners oh, man. to, uh, to L- beat L- you up on a topic. Oh, they, they are. But you know something, though, and rightfully so. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're going on almost... Uh, you know, a little bit over you know six weeks since uh, since you know SFGE, and, and but I like that people are you know they're asking for the session slides, they're asking for the record you know the the video recordings, and the build of material for the BT uh, for the BT Beast board, and if uh, if people are listening and they haven't heard of the BT Beast board, then uh, trust me by uh, by next episode they will because uh, I'll have the I'll have the videos out and uh, you know. Have the bill of materials out and everything like that so i would just say soon i promise very (laughs) very soon i wanted to get the color dmd video and audio out first and then our two sessions brent the one that you did the one that you chaired and the one that i chaired or led and you know led and led you know respectively uh those are coming up next and and all i really have to do is just shoot the intros to those but that takes uh that takes time so anyway 
soon. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> soon. I want them out as much as everybody else wants them out as well. It looks like Jeff's Games, at Jeff's Games, tweeted at us and asked, did you buy an ESR meter? No, that was my response to him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. look at the one up. He's like, why, I, why is Brent spending oh, my minute. money this month? That's Jeff Waldron. Yeah, it's Jeff Waldron. Yeah. Oh, so we, we've we've discussed that I don't know how this works. Right? Yeah, no, it, it's all good. Everybody knows that at this point. So <laughs> and, hey, I'm just I, I'm, le- I'm not even I'm, I'm leading, not even I'm, I'm leading you through this. I'm not I'm even faking this. this one. Yeah, I yeah. had I completely phoned this yeah, one. It's all right. Yeah. So so Jeff Waldron says at Broken Tucky says why is Brent spending my money this month? And I'm like I'm like so Jeff are you I mean did you buy an ESR meter? Is that what you're talking about? And that, oh. that's that's what I was thinking of because we covered the ESR meters last month and he said says no 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 he goes i'm looking at all those online component tools and i'm like cha-ching that's how it happens right there <laughs> i'm actually going to jump down uh real quick to our some of our face f- facebook <laughs> our facebook feedback yeah uh troy gibbs uh posted the facebook page yeah th- yeah this is apropos that you cover this now yeah. so yeah for sure i think this episode turned into spend troy's money <laughs> thanks for the tip about online components i've been looking around and trying to get some better quality adjustment tools as most of what i have and this this actually dovetails into what you were mentioning what, what i he, was what i was talking yeah. about because troy and i are in the same boat where everything we had prior was kind of crap yeah he said most yeah. of what i had uh were flimsy cheap ones off ebay yeah so he's actually got a picture of this order that he's got dude <laughs> and it's a heck of a spread you want to talk about phoning it in man he he phoned it in for sure i mean he got a box yeah of stuff. he got a serious box of stuff yes and he did we mentioned it earlier you go in and the, the prices are pretty fair and the quality's great you do have to fit a 50 dollars minimum order there is plenty of stuff at online uh, the Broken Token Podcast is not sponsored by, nor are we taking money from online components. Oh, no. No, we just give them money. Yeah. They have quite a few things that, that any arcade person, any pin person would love to have in their toolbox. So that $50, you, you can you can get what you want and then several things on top of it, and you're going to come out ahead. Yeah, it's funny. He goes, I just got the order in and, and had ordered duplicates and triplicates that should last a lifetime. So, Troy, you're a man after my own heart. Uh, he says, check out the two bags. Those are supposed to be two individual 5,009 tools, and I got two bags of 100. <laughs> he goes, I don't think I'll ever need those again. If you ever need some extras, just holler. And apparently that was an accident. Yeah. He ordered Fortu- part number... Fortuitous. Yes. To, on his to his side, he ordered part number 5009-100, and he paid $2.80 for both, a buck forty each. And it turns out that instead of getting two, as in two yes he got yes. two bags of 100 each yes. as in 200 so so troy actually uh, I, I think i will reach i'm going to take you up on that offer and reach out to you and just grab maybe three or four of those because you know what why not uh, so. troy, if and uh, send me a couple too troy because mm-hmm. actually if memory serves that's I, I actually use that one quite a bit yes yeah it's I, like a double if it's the one i'm thinking of it's a double screwdriver tip it, it is it's about as long as an ink you know an ink pen or a uh-huh. pencil yeah and then one it's, side it's is very handy yeah one side is 
projects down and it's like half the width as the other end. Exa- yeah. Yes, yes, it is because like you can you can adjust some pots and then you can flip it over and then go in from the top of the chassis and hit like the B plus you know adjustment very easily just by turning the tool over. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah it's it's good. So um, Troy, if you're given, we're taking. Yeah, well, Troy, I will shoot you a message on Facebook. That's awesome. So so Brent, real quick, uh, uh, yeah, circle back to yeah, the the I, Twitter I, and I, looks I, like this is right in your right in your neighborhood buddy. yeah right in the wheelhouse it's funny because uh the, the responses to the red tent were just were just utterly fantastic i mean and many many people gave a shout out when i posted up the picture and i thank everybody for doing that just a, a couple of tweets here uh so first one that i wanted to mention was uh es- esquilito and he says holy smokes that thing looks crispy fresh and, and yeah man thank you it was very very fortunate to get the one that i got now now he uh, knew about it like 13 days before i did yeah well you know dude that's you know i i I gotta get you on the twitter man (laughs) so so vic from the 10 pence arcade podcast he goes now get balloon fight in pinball and i said well vic i I did get pinball with it but uh, you're right balloon fight is a must-have title but look at this man Carrington Vanston, okay, and so Carrington uh, was uh, part of the No Quarter podcast, quote unquote, back in the day. You know, co-host there, and he says it's a Goonies delivery mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> and man, I'll tell you, when I saw his tweet, I actually laughed out loud. So Carrington, that that was awesome. But yeah, thank you everybody for the for the kind words on on the red tent. That was uh, that was just you know a very fortunate thing that I was able to stumble into. So thank you. All right, and so circling back yet again yeah. into Facebook land, there was a, uh, a just I just love this picture. It's Sharon O'Shea, uh-huh. uh, wife of the, our unpaid production assistant Sean O'Shea. Exactly, Sharon O'Shea at uh, Pentastic playing a Rob Zombie pinball. Uh, Spooky's newest offering and wearing a broken token T-shirt. Yes, it's it's great, isn't it? Oh, it's thank you so very much for the picture and thank you so very much for posting it. Actually, speaking of the O'Shea's, I have a a stack, a virtual stack, if you will, of pictures that they took from SFGE. Okay. And I need to pull those down and add them to our album. So yes, 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 definitely. It, uh, yeah, I know the ones you're talking yep. about. Yeah, for sure. If you haven't checked out our facebook page i would recommend that you do it and we'll talk about it here in the show outro but we say it all the time and we mean it we have a lot of stuff going on 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 i don't know what goes on on that twitter thing apparently <laughs> apparently a lot of stuff on the back channel that i need to, i need to get in the loop oh, on dude i know what you see dude, you're i have making, actually <laughs> talked physically talked to jeff waldron this week yeah and i had no idea he was at jeff's game yeah and, and it it says it right next to it. Yeah. Now you know what's you know what's awesome about this is is you're, you're hitting fifty percent. Okay. So so I so the show oh, title I'm hitting, the, le- I'm hitting less than that. Yeah, trust me. Yeah. The show title is I'm fifty percent at best. How about that? <laughs> so anyway, no, it, it it's great. And you want to know something? Uh, Lee over at Pinball Supernova uh, shot me a message, and he had taken some pictures. Uh, hey, on, look what look what shirt I'm wearing. You're sporting it, aren't you, man? So. 
yeah, so I was wearing, I mean, I wore my shirt like a, a couple of weeks back as well. Well, and I was two weeks late on the red tent thing, so what do you expect? It, it all works out, man. But uh, but Lee took a lot of pictures when he was at Pentastic, and he shot me a picture of uh, of Sharon in the Broken Token shirt as well, and he was like, hey guys, it's, it's good to see you all represented on the show floor, and so Lee, thank you for that, and uh, he's got a really nice, Brent, I'm going to put it up on the Facebook page, he's got a really nice photo album of pictures from Pentastic, oh, awesome. and so we want to give Lee a shout out, and I'll I'll throw that up on the on the Facebook page here uh, here within the next day or two. So cool. so yeah, so, hey, so Brent, that's that's it, man. I got one thing I want to toss in. Okay, I've had a couple people actually kind of ask me out of band, and this is not necessarily uh, arcade or pinball related. I've had a couple people, and uh, I was very humbled. They asked me how my puppy was doing. Oh, okay. Well, so nice. I think I mentioned somewhere along in the show that. Uh, my my dog Maxine, she had to have uh, a pretty significant knee surgery, and I've have just you know, hey, how's she do? How's she doing? Is she recovering well? And yes, she is. Um, she is out running and chasing and jumping, and I am. I was actually kind of shocked because, given what she had to have done, I I was I was expecting that she would be very mobile, but not near as mobile as she is. She she gets a little bit like me in that if she sat around for a bit, she's got a, a limp for a couple steps. <laughs> you know, you know we're, she's got a hitch in her giddy up. Exactly. She's yeah. got a little hitch in her come along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. she is doing fantastic. And for, you know, all those that have, that have reached out and asked, uh, I greatly appreciate it. And I just thought I'd let everybody know. Yeah, it's cool. Show Dog Maxine. So Show Dog Maxine. Show yes. Dog rep- Maxine represents. So, no, that's, that's, that's good to know, Brent. So, yeah. So, Brent, where can everybody find us, man? We are on the most awesome network for retro related and uh, uh, computer and uh, arcade and pinball and just, podcasting. Just nostalgia just in general. Just nostalgia in general. Yeah. We can be found on Rob O'Hare's wonderful throwback network at throwbacknetwork.net. Yeah, right. I mean, they do Rob and, and the, the guys that run that network do such a good job and the content is so varied mm-hmm. and it's just it's a joy to listen to because it seems like every episode that I'll, I'll just use Rob for an example, every episode that he puts out when he talks about the nostalgia that led him to cover that topic, I find myself going, Hey, I did that too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember doing that. Yes. I remember feeling that way about some, about that particular topic. And Rob always does. Rob always does such a good job covering those topics. It's, so Rob, it's, it's good stuff. One of Rob's shows isn't, uh, I think it's, you don't know flack. It's not even necessarily yep. technology related. Some of the episodes are, it's just like Whitney said, it's, it's about a topic from, for lack of a better term, back in the day. Back in the day. Yes, so, exactly. And you mentioned Carrington Vanson earlier. He is a, a <laughs> sort of a, a rather consistent host. And I say consistent because the, the lineup kind of rotates, I guess, as folks have time. But yeah. he's on uh, the retro, I almost said retro gaming 
No, he is no, on retro the computing. Retro computing roundtable. Round retro right. computing roundtable. He's round on retro table. computing roundtable. That is so, correct. Yes. You know, if you're into old apples and Commodores and Ataris, that's the show to listen to. Yeah. yeah. Also on th- uh, the Throwback Network. Yep. And uh, we can also be found on iTunes. And we just ask that you please uh, leave a review and rate the podcast. Uh, every review on iTunes matters, and we've had you know a couple uh, you know a couple more show up over the past few months. So we certainly appreciate that. And just uh, ask everyone if. If you you know have a few minutes and have access to uh, you know the iTunes app on your phone or on your desktop, just yeah, just hop in there and search us up. And, you know, just type in Broken Token, you'll find us uh, you know straight up, and uh, just leave a review. It, it definitely definitely helps. We can also be found on Stitcher Radio and xbox music yep and social media uh we're facebook.com slash broken token twitter at broken token and of course the website brokentoken.com and brent one thing i will say before we uh close this out and turn it back over to christy uh, when we publish the youtube videos uh that we talk about for sfg i'll do a blog post on the website as well for those so just kind of keep an eye out so until next month we'd like to thank everybody for listening and game on Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes Store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes Store and on our Stitcher Radio page, as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Litzy. And that's me. <laughs> Music for the Broken Token Podcast, graciously provided by Hacy Dixie. Head over to their website at www.hayseed-dixie.com for videos, tour dates, merchandise, and to purchase music. There you go. Stretch it out. I'm just going to rub my hair all all over you. I'm going to leave you with a present. I'm going to come over here and see Daddy. (laughs) We have to water the plant, Brent. Water the plant, you know. I don't want to go in Will Whitney because I'm always Will Whitney and you're always Will Brent and whatever. (laughs) So insert cash register sound here. Oh, you are so into crisis management mode. Hey, dude, I'm going to tell you what, man. I I kick butt when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, we better finish the show before you (laughs) hurl or something, man. (laughs)